We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is unfortunately not here, but we have a packed house, so it's uh, it's not too much of a big deal. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then, like these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or completely different, and this is one of our fun commentary tracks. It is November 2019, when in honor of the 25th anniversary of this film, and just the fact that vampire movies tend to come out in November for some reason, we'll talk about that. Uh, we are talking this month, Interview with the Vampire, or Interview with the Vampire, colon, The Vampire Chronicles, or Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire, colon, The Vampire Chronicles, or as I'm going to refer to it, Lee Daniels, Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire, <laughs> colon, The Vampire Chronicles. Uh, is this so, part of the Stargate series? Yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, Lee Daniels and Rice's interview with the vampire: colon, the Vampire Chronicles SG One. Let's do this. <laughs> Joining me to discuss this movie, we have from Lisa Bloom, the Cult Cinema Cavalcade Podcast, wandering the streets amid an outbreak of plague. It's Brandon Peters. Hello. Also joining us from Lisa Blue, performing with the Theater de Vampia, it's Peter Paris. Hey, hey. Joining us from the Milky Way Blues, and eventually Lisa Blue, he drank blood from swamp creatures to survive. It's Yancey Burns. Hi, guys. And from Forbes, back from conducting his best interview yet, it's Scott Mendelson. That's not a very high bar, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How are all of you doing this evening? Answer at the same time. Really Fine. Good. Great. Okay, we have a bunch of you guys here. We're going to do this. We're going to talk about Interview with the Vampire, the 1994 Neil Jordan film, uh, starring Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, among many others. There, this is a big, it's a big two-hour movie, so we can just kind of get things underway here. But uh, yeah, that's that's the uh, plan for this commentary track, which basically we're just all going to be talking over with the with the uh, sound on mute, so you can hear us go over whatever we do about this film. So if you plan to follow along, feel free to take the movie, put it in your player, pause it at five seconds in, and when I count down from three and say go, you press play, and then you just get to follow along with the movie and listen to us. If you're just listening to listen. You're, you're set. You don't have to do anything else except just not press pause at any point. Um, so with all of that, I think we're all set to go here. You guys ready? I yep. am ready. Ready, steady. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. Interview with the Vampire. This movie came out in 1994. It was a good hit, right, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, let me give you the short answer. Give um, us the chronicle of it, Scott. <laughs> uh, it earned strong reviews, opened with $36 million in opening weekend, which at the time was the biggest R-rated opening and the biggest non-summer opening weekend of all time. Wow. It was a bit front-loaded, though. Um, As and vampire movies a, tend to be, right? Yes. Uh, it only, I mean, only, it only ended up with about $105 million domestic, and I want to say 260 worldwide, give or take. But again, this was back when a mega-budget movie was $60 million, so it was still a huge hit. And cer- Yeah, and certainly for a, a horror movie, let alone a vampire movie, with that kind of budget and with the caliber of stars involved, it's like, that's, a, that's a lot of factors in there to, <laughs> to weigh uh, as a possible success. Um, with that in mind, let's start with Is the guys. Vampire Chronicles, was that on it theatrically, or has that been added later? That was there. It was on it. because I believe there. it was it's there. All, it's on all the posters okay. as well. Um I don't I think mean, they had plans to do it then. I think the plans dried up later, but yeah, I mean they eventually got that one sequel. But we'll get got there. Queen of the Damned with Stuart, Stuart Townsend Everyone's and Aaliyah. Because if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get to, let's get to some let's get to some understandings of what we think about this movie out of the way. Uh, Yancy, let's start with you because I where you're a fan of this film. And me, yeah, I think this is a. Uh... 
the classic definition of a flaw, like a flawed masterpiece. I think there's no question Brad Pitt is miscast, does the best he can. But I think everything else about it is so classy and luxurious. I think it's one of the great uh, horror movies. Peter, what are your thoughts on Interview with the Vampire? I, I would I would second the miscasting of of Brad Pitt, um, but I really I really think this movie is that perfect balance of it's the kind of like moody horror gothic-y movie that you can you can absolutely watch it straight and I think it and I think it works absolutely well. But I also understand in the in the pop culture of obviously we'll get to Tom Cruise's performance and the kind of it's. I don't know. You know, you and I were just or some of us were talking about this earlier about what what is campy. And there's definitely qualities about this that I think could kind of be that way, too. But I think it works either way, which I think is great. Sometimes I think when something works campy, it doesn't work. You're like, oh, that seems flat. But no, I I think it works on on both. I've always just really liked it as just a straight watching it as a straight, you know, uh, drama horror movie. Um, But, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Scott, where are you at with this movie? Uh, I like it quite a bit. Uh, I had very little knowledge of the source material. Most of my understanding about Cruz being cast was the pre-release controversy where Anne Rice said, no, no, no. And then when she saw the movie, she said, yes, yes, yes. And took out a a full full page. page. Yeah. 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 And again, with very little understanding of the source material, I loved Tom Cruise's work here because whether he was appropriate for the part or not, He's very good. He's giving it his all. And it was very against type from what we'd seen of Tom Cruise at that point in his career. Um, and the rest of the film, and this was Neil Jordan just two years away after the crying game. So this was sort of his, you know, to put this in, you know, just, just depressing modern context. This was his big superhero movie. Um, <laughs> but and nonetheless, you know, even 25 years ago, this stood out as a sprawling and you know, grotesque and macabre and as much as they could get away with it, gay, you know, vampire romp that really did feel like an event movie 25 years ago. And this was back when, you know, if a movie did 35 million bucks, either everybody at school saw it or depending on, you know, if it was an R-rated movie, all your parents saw it. Um, so yeah, I, I am a fan. This is very much a film of reminds me of quote unquote old timey nineties Hollywood. Okay. Um, before I get to Brandon, I just want to point out that Christian Slater's here as the interviewer. This was supposed to be played by River Phoenix, who uh, passed away before he could, you know, obviously be in the role. Um, with that in mind, Christian Slater did end up donating his salary for this movie to uh, a charity that, that was kind of in connection to to Phoenix. Uh, Brandon, where are you with this movie? Uh, I'm kind of indifferent on it. Like I don't, I, 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 overall, I'd say I, I like it, but I'm I'm not like over the moon for it. I think it kind of suffers when Brad Pitt or not Brad Pitt uh Tom Cruise leaves the movie um you guys say Brad Pitt's been cast or is he just not a good actor yet like (laughs) that's part of my thing with his early in the 90s he's up and down and he gets upstaged by a child in this movie uh for a bit of it but he was um I bought him at Legends of the Fall as a period. I, like I said, he's hit, hit and miss, he's and he's in, not he's quite good, there yet. He's good in Thelma and Louise, his big breakout thing. Like he's, I think he's legit right. good in that movie for yeah. what he's recording. He'd be, mis- he'd be miscast in this today, I think. He, he becomes he becomes better over time, I I, I think. Um, no, Yancey, I hear what you're saying right there. I, I, I just don't think the character fits this person. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but I overall, it's it's fine. Um, I, I like some of the, I like a lot of the ideas, the way it's presented. Um, it builds a universe really well, and then we never got anything else. So it kind, of, I'm kind of left uh, wanting to see what more about this like vampire lore there is. But that, you know, of course, I'd I'd have to pick up books to do that. But um, yeah, it, it, I feel like it could have gone. It was a hit. Um, well liked but uh i think the the funnest thing about this is they put out a super gay vampire movie during a time where it would have been you would have thought it'd been more controversial but it just kind of came went people liked it it was fine and then nowadays they make a big huff about it in marketing as mm-hmm. a selling point when it could just there's a while i'm not saying things were perfect back in the 90s and such but you could just release whatever people would go see it and stuff and then like now it feels like it's got to be made a big deal in like its press releases, its market, like stirring things up when back that no one gave a crap. Like I mean, it there's was, a, it there's was a really diff- weird. There's a longer and different conversation there, but I do think there is a weird thing about how we've regressed in the years since. The it, 90s it has in a lot like of yes. Ways. Think um, about absolutely. it. We had we had like around this time we had like you know, Passenger Fifty Seven comes out with Wesley Snipes. And it was just another action movie. Let's go see it. It's awesome. Now just be like, it's a black guy in an action. It's the, like, the best example I think of is how weird. like Fox had their lineup with like Martin in Living Color, Living Single, yeah. and whatnot. And then you yeah. have years like now where ABC puts out like four different white family shows, and it's like we need to call this out. It's like what? When? Why did things change? Like, yeah, what? exactly. <laughs> it's weird. It's really weird uh, how backwards and and in a time of where we have the most communication with anybody around the globe. We have regressed to being afraid of strangers. It's oh, weird. I it's think so weird. for movies, what happened is they, you know, around late 90s, especially early 2000s, they went all in on the tentpole, where you had this idea of a big budget four quadrant PG-13 fantasy adventure movie that basically had to be appropriate for everyone. Yeah. Um, like, speaking. did people not understand the, like, the gay context in this movie? It's like, all it's blatant it's like all i was watching this i watched this again in preparation for this and i was like yeah yeah yeah, say what you were just saying it's subtext it's not explicitly about two 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 gay lovers they lived together for like 60 years so that's i mean it's gay in the way midnight cowboy is gay which is sort of unquestionably but not literally and this is 1994 i mean we talk about grown-ups or whatever if you're 24 when you go on a date to see this you might be compelled to try to take it seriously if you're 14 and you go see this. It's going to be giggles because ah ha ha they're gay. You know? I did got a little I... misty when I, I watched this about a month ago, not knowing you were going to do this. I got a little misty watching it because it, even this feels like a, a, a grown-up movie, and it was a big hit in a mainstream horror movie. And it's 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 grown up. It's it's comic and then it's grotesque and. This would know. be in the art house theater nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, this is pretty yeah. this, this is pretty homoerotic. That's the thing also, that yeah. it, it would have a smaller budget and you wouldn't be able to kind of build like the you talk about the world building, you wouldn't be able to do it on the kind of level that like an A two four version of this movie would be. And you wouldn't be able to afford Tom Cruise, and there's something about the subversion that he gets away with here of, of his screen image that, that accounts for a lot of power. If that mm-hmm. was somebody we already thought of as very malleable on their screen presence, that'd be one thing. But it was really surprising. I mean we knew Tom Cruise was a great actor already, but it was that he knocked this out of the park so well is still yeah. really long. Real I say this is one of, this one of his best roles. I mean, honestly, it really is. I mean, it makes me say that he sort of stopped stretching, not to, not to make Pete mad. Well, but... it's the kind of thing where he's in here and you, 
where I, I don't think he's ever interchangeable, but like the screen presence he has in this movie, it's like it's the Poochie thing, right? It's it's like when Tom Cruise is not on screen, you want to ask where's Tom Cruise? Yeah, where exactly. The, the Mission Impossible yeah. movies, like they certainly work because of his effort as well. But it's like there's so much spectacle going on. It's like yeah, it's great that Cruise is here to guide us through it, but here it's like you want to see more of this of, of Lestat doing like yeah. wild Lestat things. I mean, he's a, the... Yeah, he's a great anti-hero. Oh. Well, and they try to pass the buck over to Banderas, but he just does not command that same whatever Cruise brought in the first half of this movie. He picks up a different baton and and goes with it, and it's and uh, yeah. No, no, I agree with you in that you know it's it's it's. You know, Banderas was still a year, you know, six, seven, eight months away from, you know, uh, Desperado. Desperado. Yeah. And that would be, at least for me, you know, yeah. where he became the Banderas that we think of when we think of Antonio Banderas. It's weird. Um, you know, I was, I was writing about that when I was writing my Pain and Glory review, um, the Pedro Almodovar film that's, like, currently out, where he, you know, you think of Banderas, I think in America, people associate him as an act, as, like, a former action star. It's like, well... Yeah, he did action movies for, like, a chunk of time, like, in the mid-90s to the early 2000s, but the guy was a drama, a dramatic actor. Like, he was in, obviously, yeah. he was in Peter Drama Dobar's films, but he also, like, he's in Philadelphia, he's in this, mm-hmm. he's in Miami Rhapsody, which is, like, whatever. But, I mean, it's, you know, his, 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 uh, his cred was more of just being, like, a competent actor who happened to be Spanish. Like, I mean, it's, uh, so it... Him becoming yeah, yeah, Desperado yeah. and then Zorro, it's like, yeah, he certainly got this guy. And Assassins, of course, we can't forget that. I mean, <laughs> too late. I become number one. Mm-hmm. He became associated with this kind of action guy thing, which I guess is unique just because he's, you know, a not a, he's a not white guy actor leading these roles and people want to either be him or be with him. So it's like, yeah, I get that. Um, I think part also of... a Madonna lust object, right? And Truth or Dare, isn't she? I think that's where I first heard of Antonio Banderas. Yeah, and Evita. Evita, yeah. Wanting to um, sleep with him, yeah. Well, I think you know, for... There was a real sort of a adult horror <laughs> thing going on here in the mid-90s, wasn't there? Because we had Bram Stoker's Dracula, we had ah, Wolf. Yeah, it was 90 to 90, like 90 to like 95 or whatever before Scream came out. It was really taking... I mean, all the better ones were the adult ones at the time. Yeah, like I'd, I'd throw Candyman... In with the adult ones, well, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, for one thing, it's about adults doing adult things as opposed yeah. to like a you know a younger crowd or a more naive set. It's about like real world people that happen to be involved in supernatural activities. Yeah, I mean, they were even attempt even the uh, lower. I mean, they were attempted like the prophecy. I would say that's more of an adult uh, going for the adult thing. Yeah, you're um, walking in there, so it's like yeah, and copycat. <laughs> like they're just going more. What was the impetus? Was I, Dracula was a pretty big hit. Was there a huge? I, I think between that Dracula, was, was, Dracula yeah, and Silence, Silence of the, of the Lambs. Lambs. Yeah. yeah, that was oh, the Silence previous the record holder yeah. for the biggest R-rated opening. Wait, Silence what? of the Lambs. No, no, Dracula. Oh, Dracula! I was going to say it's like Dracula. That was Lambs. the record holder at the time. I'm Dracula. sorry. That was that was the record holder at the Dracula, time. Dracula. Yes, yeah. it did 32 million on the same weekend, by the way, in 1992. We'll, we should start talking about this movie, but just Coplet real quick. got a big paper head. We, we already did a whole commentary on Bram Stoker's Dracula, so you can listen to well, that. I mean, <laughs> another movie I think is a flawed masterpiece, in all honesty. I like we that talked movie. about that, yeah. I like that movie more. I will, let, me, let me say my thought. I didn't say anything about this. I, I agree with Brandon as far as I'm kind of in the middle of the road on this movie. I, I think it's, it, there's certainly, it's certainly well made. It has all the things that you kind of want in a movie such as this. But yeah, I think the Brad Pitt thing is a big factor for me because the movie is focused on his character as much as Lestat's the star of the show. 
when he's not around, you have to deal with Brad Pitt, who's so mopey. <laughs> it's like his character is he's such mopey, a mopey. But he gets more compelling as he gets. As There's he big moments he he has big he flat moments out that stinks in. Like yeah, he... that's, that's there's yeah there's some moments that are you like really need to like this guy should have worked you up to a certain fever pitch and it's like it's just not happening. But the and the moments that really work are things that he's around in, but it's the other characters that really you know help those scenes along. Yeah, like regardless, I mean, it's not just it's not just, the pit, him, but... it's not just the pit thing. It's just I don't know of the vampire films that I really enjoy. This one. For all the, you know, classiness of how it's made with Neil Jordan's hand and the cinematographer and Dante Ferrati's production is like, it's all like, it's all there. And yet it just doesn't do much for me compared to other vampire movies. I think part of it is that a lot of the stuff that we came to see is stuff that happens in the first act. Yeah. Uh, or well, if not yeah. the first half, if I'm being generous. <laughs> and, you know, the, the second act and the climax, I like it and I think it's interesting, but it's it's not necessarily, you know, it's 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 not vampires being bitchy and biting people and, you know, it's, it's right. a little bit different. Um, well, the, brilliant, the brilliant storytelling conceit that I guess you have to give Anne Rice credit for is that. Well, what if you take a vampire and you get to tell somebody's biography and it's a really long life because they live for hundreds of yeah. years? I mean, the ending of this movie when he come, you know, the, the the gimmick where they go into the movie theater is really it's a beautiful ending and what a great I've never I've never seen a vampire. I, I read the book years before Interview with the Vampire and I wasn't very impressed with it, but I can't think of another vampire movie before this that takes advantage of you're with a vampire so you get to live through centuries and centuries and you get to feel and that's why i think the second and third acts do hold up so well because at that point brad pitt i i, I buy his mopiness more because now he's just still alive and it's crude you're droning on and on and on i, I still really don't compelling. like people and that's so what i i hear what you're saying and that's that's where it comes down to execution versus concept because the concept of that is fantastic and i'm not saying neil jordan like incompetently made this movie it just for me didn't work that well like i yeah. mean it, it's that's what it comes down to i can't i can't change my subjective taste on like how much i accept this movie i will say though as far as brad pitt movies involving him getting older as they were getting older he was staying <laughs> the same age <laughs> <laughs> One thing that that stands out to me about this film and how it was received and the marketplace that existed was I saw this on opening weekend. I was 14 and I saw it on a Saturday afternoon. And I remember running into people that I knew from dance class. I took dance class at that point in time. This is before I joined the drama club. This is, a but anyway, this is another episode right there. <laughs> yes. Wait till you hear about Scott Mendelssohn's the fencing years. <laughs> <laughs> they were all going to see the Santa Claus and they were, which opened the same day and were jealous of me because I was seeing an interview with the vampire. And that made me feel kind of cool. Cause you know, I'm 14 years old. I'm seeing the badass R rated movie and not the dumb kids flick. But see, I'm like, I'm like what? eight years old and I'm seeing yes. the Santa Claus of my mom and being like home improvement that's the best show at ABC ho, ho, ho. And that goes sure. <laughs> but but and, 25 years later the difference is no you know now everyone sees the Santa Claus and nobody sees interview with the vampire uh-huh I've never seen the Santa Claus they murder <laughs> Santa and gloss they, over it yes they yeah, really do I get they you. do yeah. no they the Santa gets murdered that movie and then they're like yeah, whatever. Oops. <laughs> you oh, can be oh. the Santa now. My son saw uh, Santa Claus get murdered, but, you know, we'll just gloss over that part. <laughs> um, 
Although, ironically enough, and maybe this was a sign of things to come, the Santa Claus ended up outgrossing this film domestically, well, despite I mean, opening with almost a little bit more than half an opening weekend. Don't deny the power um, of Tim Allen. Well, there's a reason why there's only one sequel to this movie and two yes. sequels to the Santa Claus Scott's. Yes. Because <laughs> um, of moments like this. Yeah. Um, there's not enough Martin Short as Jack Frost in this scene, or else that really would have paid off. <laughs> That's the one I would have seen if I was going to watch a Santa Claus. Would be Santa Claus three colon the escape clause. I like Martin Short. I don't like so Tim Allen. What, what took so long for them to? What took so long for them to follow this up? Was there just no interest in another one, or? Well, imagine well, once, you, once, you, really once you lose Pitt, like, or was, once you lose Cruz, it felt like Cruz was doing this just so he could do Vampire Lestat two years later, doesn't it? it? At the time, it felt like there's just his audition for the Vampire Lestat, which was the book everyone liked more at the time. Well, this and was also a time it. when, you know, a hit film didn't automatically spawn a sequel. But you you're know, doing um, it off of a book series, yeah. so you would imagine uh, there'd be the that for that, that in that case there'd be the potential. They realized that a lot of the appeal was, you know, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt together, you know, in this gothic vampire film. And I think they realized that the IP itself was only so valuable, especially because with all the hype in the world, the film was kind of front-loaded. So, you know, in a time when studios didn't need franchises just to have franchises, I think they decided, you know, this is a solid it, we'll move on and do something else. And, you know, Interesting Tom, you say that. You know, because the, I remember thinking at the time when the posters first popped up in the movie theater lobbies, that the fact that it said the Vampire Chronicles was pretty presumptuous. Like, I thought they were well, the fact, it was going to... They, they did make another one, but it just yeah, took so long later. that no one cared. Yeah. And I'm just saying, like, so something had to have gone into development, but, like, what... How to get to there, and what... Was it same studio that put out Queen of the Damned? Yes, it's that, both one. They're both yes. Warner Brothers. Yeah. Both Warner Brothers, yeah. So, like... What happened? Like, because by the time Queen of the Dam comes out, no one cares, and you don't have Tom Cruise anymore. Well, I mean, you don't like, have you don't have any marquee stars. You have Stuart Townsend and Aaliyah. Yeah, I know Aaliyah's yeah. popular in the music. I'm just circle, asking. I'm not. I'm not. You know, not a fan of the film. I'm just wondering if anybody knows. And he, but, so he, I mean, he obviously really wanted to play a rock star, and, and isn't that what Vampire Lestat is about? I've never read it, but I think he gets that's to the, the that's rock the kind star. of persona that you're supposed to get from this guy. Yeah, but in the Vampire Lestat, he actually becomes a rock star, like literally. Which Cruz, that guy's got to do in Rock of Ages years later, but it really yeah, that was, I was, that was really his makeup for being passed over for Lestat the second time around. It couldn't have, he must have been contractual. He couldn't have been passed over. I'm sure they would have done it. If, well, I'm sure he just got, uh, I mean, Tom, it's Tom Cruise. He's, you know, busy. I mean, he's well, like, he's, he's developing, he, you know, after well, this. The next big thing was Mission Impossible. That's what I was saying. Right? After this, he's developing yeah. his production company and he has Mission yeah. Impossible going. And then, he, you know, he's mixing that with, you know, being with Stanley Kubrick for three years. And like, I mean, there's, so it's Release like. me! So it's not like the guy had like time to be like, okay, let me go back to this other role while I'm also working with, you know, Stanley Kubrick and Paul Thomas Anderson and <laughs> Brian De Palma. And yeah. Like, like when when is he finding the time to be like, okay, come on, Neil Jordan, let's let me put the fangs back on and make another Lestat movie. Right now, do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> When's the Truth firm? Is that right before right this? Uh, yes. The firm's like a year before this, right? Is that, is year and a half, summer '93. Okay. So is this uh, the only? Um, is this the only? This in Collateral. Are these the only two movies where Tom Cruise is arguably the villain? Tropic Thunder. Lions for Lambs, he's kind of... Yeah. He's, oh, he's a villain in that. That is the only Tom Cruise movie I've never seen. How is it? It's worth watching. I'm okay. not going to say it's fantastic, but it's worth seeing. I, and he's terrific in it. 
movies that aren't called quiz show and did come before that uh, tend to pass for me when it comes to Robert Redford directed movies. <laughs> Ordinary people? I said and before and, and before. <laughs> Wait, you didn't like quiz show? No, I'm saying quiz show and before. That's a better period for Robert Redford directed movies. Oh, okay. I was like, quiz show's great. Like I was like, thinking about the conspirator the other day. I was like, I saw this movie. I wrote a thousand words yeah. about it. Okay. I wrote a post about that. I remember that. As the, I was thinking, the the, the the assassination of Lincoln is fascinating. How is a movie this boring about that? <laughs> <laughs> How is there a movie that year called The Lincoln Lawyer that was not about that? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. I like that one he did with uh, Shia LaBeouf, okay, as far as Redford director movies. What was it called, called, like, Businessman with Glasses? Like, what was, yes. that, was that movie? <laughs> Oh, the horse whisperer was pretty good. What is no? What is it actually called? What, what's that? Which one? one? Don't remember. But the Shia LaBeouf one. The company you keep, I think. The company. Yes, you see, it is. That's it. It is nice. business of glasses. That's exactly the title of that movie. <laughs> Are you sure it's not the clearing you're thinking of with him and Defoe? No. Yeah, that's a different one. But yes, I know that movie. Never saw it. Um. Did he direct? He directed a River Runs Through It, didn't he? Yeah, he directed a River yep. Runs Through It. Yeah. That was. Which yeah, another bit fell. Well me. It is uh, weird, though, considering when I think of Clint Eastwood in Redford, if you had asked me which one of them would have become, like, a major director, I, I would have assumed it was going to be Redford. And Eastwood, obviously, I mean, Eastwood's output, I mean, not everything is great, but he's, I think his output is has been pretty strong oh, it's, for, like, the last 30 his years. His movies are, they're more interesting, at the very least. There's It's rarely a boring Eastwood movie where I, I don't have so many things to say about some of the, you know, Robert Redford movies that are out there. Why are we talking about this so much? <laughs> Tom Cruise is eating dogs. I'm sorry, well, Brad Pitt is eating dogs right now. Brad Pitt is eating dogs. Brad Pitt's eating dogs. It's snapping necks. I wanted to say earlier, um, uh, not this is not supposed to be a, a humble brag, but, uh, when I was in college, I also had a uh, kind of a internship at the Oprah Show because I'm from Chicago and that's one of the only places you could work. But Tom Cruise um, came to the <laughs> that's show. The only place but... you could work. <laughs> well, okay. well, no, 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 no. But you go, uh, you so, go. I'm sorry. so Tom Cruise did an interview with Oprah for Interview with the Vampire. He didn't do it at Harpo, so he didn't. I didn't get to see him like come or anything. But I remember. Oprah was Oprah and her audience was so freaked out about the scene we just saw and the scene earlier, which is Tom, the whole eating of the poodles and the rats. Mm -hmm. Like that was like, yeah. I think either Oprah walked out. Or yeah, she wa she walked reportedly. She walked out of the movie like ten minutes in. She couldn't handle the gore and didn't like the the darkness and evil that was coming out of this movie to infect her show. Like that, she almost canceled the interview. Yeah, it's just so weird to me. I was just like, I'm like, well, I guess, you know, it's better that, like... And obviously, world... Tom Cruise and Oprah never interviewed again. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No, they oh, never, they, they, they never talked again after that, as it's famously known. That's <laughs> crazy. I just, I, I just mentioned, like, it's funny that the gore and stuff was, like, that was that was too much set off during a time where, God, it's so weird. Well, I mean, because now that wouldn't be a mainstream film well, than, you know, the other things. Wouldn't right. be Sorry, a Peter, now. Peter, what was your, I don't think you finished. What was, what was the other thing? Oh, no, no. I mean, that was just it that I, I, I really do think it's interesting that like this is 25 years ago and it's a mainstream film and that, you know, somebody like Oprah could be like, find that's that kind of material so objectionable. And now mm -hmm. in the world we live in, like, I, I, I mean, I guess because I do like like genre stuff, I'm happy that it's more commonplace that we can. We can have fun with like things that are so outrageous, like 
eating rats and things like that. Well, yeah, like that became the geek became became, ugh, became the norm, you know, in the past decade. This is no more gory than an episode of Game of Thrones now. Like that is no more gory than episodes on like on like, on like Gotham. It's like Gotham is really gory. Oh god. <laughs> I'm Wait, still astounded they got away with that. Atmosphere of this movie. I mean, I, I get it that Oprah. It's 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 got more of a. You can, you can almost smell the mustiness in this movie. You know, I can see why it would be more affecting than someone than than something like a B movie horror picture. Oh well, yeah, because like, the first ten minutes, what's even in there that's gross? It's not like bites his neck. I think. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's an evolving sensibility. You know, Oprah at that time, at that age, and when what kinds of movies are coming out at that point, like, it's not as familiar as something like now, where, yeah, you get more movies that have a variety of different kinds of contents in place. Well, I, I do think, and and I do remember there was, not controversy, but there was certainly conversation about the level of violence in this film. And even when I was 14, it struck me as odd. In movies like this and Pulp Fiction, it was like, and again, it's sort of where I realized, oh, if you have really any kind of mainstream movie that's not a hard horror film or a straight action film that contains any amount of violence whatsoever, it's going to get tagged as ultra-violent. Yeah, that's, that's how um, it is. <laughs> and that's, you know, we saw that last month, The Joker, a film that contains, I would argue, very little on-screen violence, you know, in relation to its subject matter and its genre. But, you know... That's that's you know payback, nurse it's Betty. That, it's that Hannibal. regression. It's that regression again. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. Um, Here's a Tandy Newton, by the way, who you know would go on to star with Tom Cruise once again in Mission Impossible Two years later. Woohoo! Which we have a comment yeah, and with Oprah and <laughs> in, in Beloved. Yeah, and with yeah, and in Beloved, yeah. Directed by Jonathan Demme. The late Jonathan Demme. Poor guy. It's still hard to believe Jonathan Demme then. Wait, is. Is uh, Neil Jordan's last movie Greta? Yeah, well, I believe so. From this yeah, year, yeah. I mean, this year, yeah. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was okay, but I mean, I, I think I think during this period, though, Crying Game, that like I think I was really a pretty big fan of Neil Jordan. He, I really liked a lot of his output. Um, he's, 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 oh, he's he's really talented. He's he's definitely spotty, but he was really strong in the '90s. I really liked the movie he did called The Butcher Boy. Anybody ever see that? Oh yeah, I'm really. A really good Neil Jordan picture. I like the Good Thief with Nick Nolte. The I like the Good the Thief, but that's a, movie. What's that a remake of the Good Thief? It's uh, Bob LaFleur. Bob LaFleur, right? Yeah, yeah. Melville movie. Yeah. yeah. No, I like the Good He's, Thief. I, you know, he hasn't made a movie I've loved in the last ten years or so. But Neil Jordan is sort of one of my pet directors. I like a lot. I mean, I love Mona Lisa. You know, and what else did he make? Oh in the yeah, 90s? yeah. His movie before this, uh, before Greta, was Byzantium, another vampire movie. <laughs> Yeah. Which I, re- I saw which I that. enjoyed. That was good. That was fine. Yeah, yeah that was good. good. Let's see. In Dreams was terrible, as I recall. Um, In Dreams, oh, yeah, I saw it when I was yeah, 19. Sure. I hate it. And I was wondering if I just didn't get it. But thank you for solidifying that I don't have to rewatch it. Because I've never heard anyone say they liked In Dreams is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> there was that weird, like, In Dreams and, like, high, Bless high, the Child high, high and also. Stigmata. Like, they all, like, came out, like, around the same mm-hmm. time. And it's just, like, yep. weird psychological thrillers with some, like, religious kind of thing going on as well. It's like, okay. <laughs> I'm guessing it was religious slash Y2K paranoia. And End of Days, of course, as well. And the Ninth days. Gate. The Ninth, the ninth that's the other one. The Ninth Gate, yeah, Polanski's movie, yeah. What's funny? What was, funny? The, what was the one with uh, Winona? serious Polanski movies. Um, one, one writer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lost Souls. Lost Souls. Yes, Lost Souls. Yeah. Yeah. Janusz Kaminski directed that. His only yeah, yeah. picture. Right? Uh, you guys ben are Chaplin? interested in these kind of movies, right? We're is just it Ben keep Chaplin? Putting... Is that the other? Yeah. Yeah. Ben Chaplin. It's either him or Kaminski. Yeah, and I mix them up a lot. Ever saw that movie. Yeah. 
Like, it's just because I remember all the posters. Yeah, it's always it's always like two faces it. facing away from each other, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. The one right was in it. I was looking, but did not see that one. It, those movies are putting out like, well, I hope nobody has anything else they want to see that weekend, and they go to our movie because it's new. <laughs> it's funny. Do other genres like that, or is it just horror that that has these sort of lumpy? Like we're saying, like the late '90s is all these Satan, you know, the the the, the 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 end of days and stuff. Then the mid '90s after Scream is all the reflexive postmodern stuff. This they hit on. They find a. Horror will always like find some trend and and run on it, like hard, yeah. like every because it because it's usually cost effective, like usually, and people are curious to get just a little more of that thing they you know they liked already. But this, big uh, budget. This uh, this house that's being burned down is a miniature, and they had CG flames on top of it, by the way. Oh, that's pretty good, pretty effective. Uh, yeah. Just curious, just was, is talking of this, these kind of movies, is The Crow before all those movies you're talking about? Yeah, that's 94. That's mm-hmm. before this. Oh, okay. Like a week or two, oh. but I mean, it's before this. Yeah. <laughs> like... uh, it's several months, but yes. Is that when The Crow got like, uh, Very early May 1994. Okay. This came out very early November 1994. Yeah, we talk, We have a commentary for that, too. Yep. <laughs> we talked about the crow. <laughs> Time to take room. Yep. <laughs> we did that one. <laughs> Obviously great costumes in this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this, Wait, this is a what, really well-done production. Seriously, like, though, what, when we think of the 90s, what, what, what or any... Since then, what are the big? Like, what were some big budget horror movies? Obviously, the It movies were big budget, and Doctor Sleep. But like, this is a big budget movie, and Dracula was a big budget movie. Like, we don't usually there's a history of big budget horror movies. Yeah, so Frankenstein was just a week prior. Yeah, and it it underopened with about eleven million dollars because everyone went to Stargate, and then the next weekend when this came out, it dropped I think like seventy percent, which was astonishing back then. Which was um, Oh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The Brana yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, wait, what's it? What's Stephen Freer's um, Mary Riley. <laughs> no, yeah. Which I liked. I'm the only person on earth that liked that movie. Mary Riley. That killed this trend. Those two movies killed the, the, the trend. I mean, that Kenneth Brana Frankenstein was rough. I don't know. It does. <laughs> it's um, got tubes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my memory from that movie. Instead of like electricity, it's like it's got tubes. I really like um, Wolf. The Wolf was this year in '94. Right? I really think Wolf yeah. is sophisticated. Oh, when high budget horror movie. Who's uh, who's who's Wolf? It's um, what's his name? Uh, Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Nichols. Yeah, there you go. Mike Nichols. Wait, that was yeah. a seventy million dollar movie. Yeah, because Jack Nicholson knows what he's doing. <laughs> That's why. Just <laughs> a really sophisticated. Starts out as a sophisticated satire of the publishing industry, and then becomes this world picture. It's a, I, I, it's a really good movie. I think. What are the big budget? Like, I guess what uh, the Wolf Man with Benicio that because that got well, way, they overspent yeah, on that. Yeah, well, it was supposed Man, to be ninety. Yeah. It ended up like one hundred and fifty. The Cure um, for Wellness, one of the best movies of the decade. That's um, <laughs> you know, that that cost a pretty penny for Gore Vinsky. Forty. Um. Well, I mean, you know, in the nineties, you could spend a you know good idea or bad idea. You could spend seventy million dollars on something like Event Horizon, and even if yeah. it flopped, nobody would get shot over it because. The overall industry was relatively healthy. Did Event Horizon yeah. cost seventy million? That it did. Oh yeah. Jesus, it doesn't even have any well, space like, stuff. I mean, well, I mean, well, I, yeah, I don't deny that. I'm just, I mean, because for one thing, I think Paul W. Sanderson is, tends to be kind of thrifty, um, and he, but the work does show. So that's, you know, that doesn't. Anyway, uh, we have a commentary for that too. So. <laughs> 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 
um, just as a side, I really, this whole scene, I think, really fits in this kind of, like, grand macabre. And you're right, obviously, beautiful sets. Is this, isn't he about to, like, flip the table over, which is really a coffin or something? I believe yeah. so, yeah. I'm kind of wondering, because this stuff is reminding me, because uh, the movie would come out, like, a year later, but uh, the the fourth Hellraiser film, Bloodline, features it going back in the past to a lot of stuff similar to what's going on here, and I can't help but wonder if they went to this movie for inspiration. There's not a lot around about that movie because, well, it's an Alan Smithy film. And, uh, Is Adam Scott in that one? Yeah, this one with Adam Scott. They uh, go. I mean, it starts out with the creation of the box, and it's very much stuff like this. I wouldn't uh, deny it because you know it's a big. This is a big mainstream movie. Popular, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, and it came. I think it was the next year. Yeah, because it was '95. I think it's where that came out. Yeah. Because Scream was what '96, right? Yeah, '96. So everything was like going to die in '95. The time when horror movies need to come out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just wondering if they didn't draw from this. We're talking over a lot of this movie and it's on mute, but like every scene I'm watching, Cruz is like crushing this revolt. Like every like, every facial expression, he's every every piece of attitude he's bringing works for me. I see what Pitt's doing, but it's just like the I movie think... suffers when Tom Cruise leaves. Like it's not bad, yeah. but it's just you're so like there's an energy that just drops once he's gone. And Kirsten Dunst does enough to like she's she's entertaining enough to kind of tug it along, but nowhere near what Cruz is delivering. Because that element is so like alien to the world that they're in, where you have you know two well dressed guys as vampires doing vampire stuff, and it's like this, mm-hmm. you know, very and you never really this, had this, a... this, not just a, not just like a teenage, but a very young girl entering this scenario and also doing like macabre, macabre well, and things his, to people. His seductions are very aggressive. Like you you normally get a suave seduction. His is. His is like very aggressive. Yeah, there's a reason why he played the mummy and not Dracula, right? <laughs> in, in the <laughs> ongoing Dark no, Universe. No, a little too hard on Brad Pitt in this. I mean, why not? But he's just I, outmanned I, here. Like he, he really is. I mean, you can't outman. But that's the way the story. The story is written that way. And if it were Richard E. Grant or somebody, but he would all. I think, I don't know. I maybe I'm underrating Pitt here too because I do think the whole movie is really strong. And if he were that bad, I mean. He's bet if Keanu Reeves was the lead in Dracula, that would have been that would have been debilitating, I think. But he's got a relatively small part, and he also is someone that has come to be an actor I like. Yeah, but I think Brad Pitt is probably a better natural actor to begin with. So he's just horribly miscast, but he still gets it. I think well, that because no, I, yeah, I I don't disagree. I don't think well, I mean for what, a, this movie wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about this movie right now if he didn't if there wasn't some like you know semblance of good coming out of not just the rest of the movie but him as him as well. Like he he's 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 he's, he's not unwatchable by any means. That's not right, what I'm right. No, but it does it does stand out as like a weak link compared to the rest of the stuff around him. I mean, I will say that like um, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I think Amy Nicholson. Because she's a big Tom, she wrote a whole book on Tom Cruise, and supposedly yep, she wrote the book on Tom. Cruise. Yeah, she literally wrote the book on Tom Cruise, and supposedly like, like this isn't necessary. I mean, it's just a style, maybe. But like when these two actors both signed on, um, Neil Jordan was very big, supposedly on. You know, obviously, I want you guys to read uh, the Anne Rice, the you know, the book, if not all, all the books that had already been uh, made. Oh, there's Kristen Dunst and Tom Cruise. Supposedly, his copy was like dog-eared and brad pitt didn't read it he just didn't give a shit like now hold on a minute i'm not saying to brad pitt that every actor has to do that there are some actors who they don't want to do that they want to come into it and bring something else 
So, but in this particular case, well, I, I do think that it helped that Cruz clearly was really interested in this and stuff. So, and it shows you, on the screen. If you want to know, if you want to know what Brad Pitt's like at this time, just watch Living in Oblivion. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> not, not cool that, world though, because that's not not like cool world. <laughs> Living in Oblivion, James LaGrosse, who Brad Pitt at one time would have been considered the poor man's James LaGrosse, mm-hmm. um, but James LaGrosse plays pretty much Brad Pitt in that movie you know but. who still had a pretty successful career as a character actor james LaGrosse. yes <laughs> he's, he's he's very good in things whenever he pops up <laughs> um i i do think even during this period brad pitt was very good in a movie called california yeah yeah yeah, he's, um, yeah. he's certainly he's capital a acting in that movie i'll put it that way yeah yeah, yeah. he's and trying he's very hard good in true romance for his five minutes he's definitely oh yeah that's actor. yeah I, Twelve Monkeys of the next year. I mean, he's a character actor in a you know matinee title. Form, let's t- but... let's talk about that for a second because I te- I think underplaying it, Brad Pitt is a lot more interesting than overplaying it, Brad Pitt. I say this as a huge fan of, of Fight Club. Where really, but because literally... I mean, about say in California, you could argue David Duchovny is basically like Brad Pitt in this. He's the straight man. And well, yes. Yeah, but well, I mean, yeah. if you well, didn't hear what I was just saying, I'm saying Duchovny. California. He's certainly acting. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying it's. For me, it's not one of my favorite Brad Pitt performances. It certainly stands out as far as, yes, you know he's in the movie because he's letting you know every chance he's on screen. Mm-hmm. You don't like that? I Really, I think that's a pretty fun role for him. You don't like yeah, it? It's not not fun. It's just like the... I, and I, I, see, I gotta I, say, he goes very, very big in 12 he, Monkeys, and I think everybody was surprised when that came out. Of good. Oh, he's great in 12 Monkeys. Okay. Well, wait, wait, that's, really that's what I'm getting to. He goes in these early takes, roles. And the other one is Dominic. Senna, or who directed California? Dominic Senna, yeah. The, uh, yeah, Dominic so Senna. I mean, that's maybe just be the director's weakness. What, I, what, what I'm saying is... There are in, certain scenes where he feels like he's playing the macho man Randy Savage in California. In, in, these, yeah. early, in these earlier Brad Pitt roles that require him to do big stuff, he really likes to play up the ticks. He really likes to play them up big. And I think 12 Monkeys, it works just because Terry Gilliam's sensibilities really match what he's doing in that film. But these other ones, like California or... Um, what What is it? What's this other one where you, even like like seven? It's like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like business that he's doing that really like he he's trying yeah. he's very he's very much he's like trying. I'm in an adult movie now. That, it's, um, that's what it does feel. Like. It feels like in the same way that like DiCaprio yeah, had yeah. for a while, where DiCaprio yeah. like, he wants to yeah. shed the kind of boyish image that he has and show how serious he can be, but then you he you I have to that, shave, honest. That yes, that leads to kind of overplaying it. That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it stands out as an actor that's showing you his acting. I also think it works for Seven because he's as a character he's overcompensating. Yes, and I yeah. that's oh, yeah. he also succeeds for me. But I but you know what I'm saying. I think it's, yeah, yeah I, think I, I agree it's... with you. Um, and I think as far as Cruz being more motivated, a that's Cruz. He gives 120 percent even if it kills him, and B he has something to prove. I mean, yeah, this was... everyone did. It's the same way yeah. Michael Keaton in Batman, right? Where it's like yeah, exactly. people exactly. are rejecting this thing of their key character that they've read in books and fantasized yeah. about for years on end and now it's like Tom Cruise? He can't play Jack Reacher? He definitely can't play Lestat. What's Lestat gonna do? Go slide across the living room in his underwear? No. <laughs> the dude from Taps and Cocktail? Uh, I don't know. I kind of like Legend. <laughs> Said no one. The, that background <laughs> guy from The Outsiders? <laughs> with, the, with the teeth? Uh. Is I this... kind of like legends. 
Actors can only play their roles they've already done. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> is this is, um, this is this Kirsten Dunst's first role? Yes. Yeah. Your first is that your first role in something? Wait, what? She a little girl, like an even younger girl, in like a Woody Allen movie or something. I, I would be surprised. I mean, she was in Little like, Women like a month later. It's her first women, like yeah. role. <laughs> yeah. Like, she got noticed here. She's terrific. I love I love this the concept they have that explore with the the child vampire thing. I think that's really through both oh, her yeah. and through the the uh, legion of vampires we meet later. I think that's one of the real strengths of the story. Yeah, she's in New York stories. There. Happy? (laughs) You got a Woody Allen. (laughs) New York stories. Yeah, New York stories. And Bonfire of the Vanities, apparently. So she was around. Okay. I mean, these are like bit parts, essentially, but yes. Yeah, but yes, this is the first movie that anyone noticed her. And, you know, she... she, I'm not going to say she steals the movie, because, you know, it's not that a great... she certainly made a hell of an impression. Yeah, not too. Um, yeah, definitely. And again, she and was uh, pretty, she was Amy in Little off. Women two month a month later. She was she's on one a... of the few young. I think she's one of the few young act- actresses who gave a really indelible child performance and then actually sort of kept it up. I think she's continued to do great work throughout her career. Oftentimes, it feels like they do these great performances and they never really reach that level well, again. But. Well, in this pre-Sixth Sense era, there were, I would argue, far fewer chances for young child stars to give this kind of performance. Yeah. Um, but once we started seeing, part of it was the YA explosion, Harry Potter, Twilight, Hunger Games, etc. Part of it was just sort of a shift toward making movies that happened to star young people, where, quite frankly, I mean, I think Osmond deserved the Oscar. I think he was fantastic in The Sixth Sense. Yeah, I yeah. think he, he was no Michael Caine in that super classic that we always watch, mm-hmm. the Cider House Rules. Cider House Rules! Exactly, but that's I how you say it. I do think his performance got more attention because in that period, it was still considered novel for a child performance to be that good. Well, the child performance is usually like, oh, nomination, we'll stop there. That's good enough for the child. Yeah, like uh, yeah. Paper Moon. Um... Didn't she win? Yeah, she was the youngest oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah, <laughs> Anna Paquin. What? She's the youngest, right? Still? Now she's the. I believe she's the youngest actress. To yes, win. I believe so. Yeah, Anna Paquin. Like, to win. So. To win, yes. Kovanjane Wallace is like the youngest nominated, I believe. I do. I do. I, I gotta say, uh, watching. Yeah. Oh wait, what? Huh? Yancy, oh. are you saying something? Yeah. No, no. Yes. Oh no, I just. I gotta say, watching this scene, I really like how this is something that I love in a lot of my favorite films is when you have three characters, a, a three character dynamic, and you're always kind of like it's kind of a shifting power. Like yes, uh, yeah. broadcast news, like also has it, but I like this because it's like so. Of course, Claudia is going to actually be you know more of a killer uh, than. Um, uh, more like Lestat. Louis, yeah, yeah. Then Louis. she's a kid. Yeah. yeah, and I really, I really like it. I, I like that scene we just saw with the siege with her little hair curls, and she instantly that's, transforms. That's a, great, that's a great image. That curl with the shot with the curls coming in. That's a great CG. It's a good shot. use of uh, transition effects. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, like it just. Yeah, I mean, I really. This is the kind of. This to me is once the movie really starts 
working for me is like these oh, yeah, it's, three... it's it's cooking now for sure because you have yeah, you absolutely. have two, you have two wild cards essentially in this movie right yeah <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah um but but yeah yeah that's all i wanted to say you know I, thinking about where i kind of go off with this movie versus other vampire movies it's not i mean it's not a matter of just like because conceptually, I, again, I like this concept, and I think it's epitomized by the fact that I really, really like Jim Jarmusch's Only Clever is Left Alive, which is not necessarily the same, but there's certainly like a lived-in feel to how those two exist in that, and I guess um, John Hurt, how they exist in that world where they've seen it all, and they've lived centuries, and you you just kind of get those performances. That movie really works for me. It's very different as far as, I mean, that takes place in one span of time versus this movie's more sprawling, but... I don't know. Is whatever my sensibilities are when it comes to these kind of movies, it's not like something like that clicks with me better. Well, just for the record, there were plenty of critics that weren't crazy about this in 1994. I'm aware, yeah. Um, was kind I mean, of like so-so on it. Yeah. Uh, USA Today loved it. Entertainment Weekly hated it and so forth. And, you know, it got, you know, literally mixed reviews. It just, A, I loved it when I was 14 because it was cool. And it was, even then, a very splashy, big adult blockbuster that was unique even back then yeah i mean i can get behind a studio when they're gonna yeah. throw you know 40 million 60 million dollars yeah. at a big horror i mean that's why i was excited for dr sleep i was like i like that warner yeah. brothers is like regardless of the nostalgia factor or whatever i just like that warner brothers is like yeah let's do that let's shell out a bunch of money for a big horror movie for, like let's see how that goes and for the most part i like the movie so you know good on me but i mean <laughs> the audience is like well, whatever. <laughs> this movie has the richness though i mean it's it's almost as if if you saw just the horror movies of the 20s and 30s and then saw this, you might think that horror movies had developed along this other line where they weren't relegated to B-movie status. Like, you rarely... This movie has the, has the dramatic heft of, of like, a, of, you know, of, of Remains of the Day or something. It, has, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't get by on stalking scenes of vampires killing people. It gets by on this poetic idea of what being a vampire would be like and... It and, takes the material seriously. Well, for sure, because you have Neil Jordan and you well, give him a bunch of money. Like, it makes sense. Also, <laughs> I mean, Claudia, you've been a very, very bad girl when Tom Cruise comes back. And this huge comedy comedies in this that win you over to these guys' side, really. I mean, to me, I just incredibly poetic. I mean, obviously, I don't remember if it's in the book or not. But the idea that a vampire would never... You'd live forever and never see a sunrise until movies were invented. And you could see a sunrise. I don't know. It's that kind of movie love thing, which I also get out of Graham Stoker's Dracula and the Coppola one that, that pushes it over the, the top for me, where it's hard for me to even think of this as a horror movie because it's so... It's like a horror movie from a different evolution of horror where... Oh, don't be Dracula that guy. Was taken more seriously. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What? Are we saying it's elevated horror? <laughs> no. Sorry. I don't sorry, think sorry, sorry. I, I mean, elevated horror is what? Like Us, which I like a lot. No, I'm, I'm just giving you crap. I give me crap. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't. Cause I think I know what that is. This is. But no, I. I, this is like, this I is, don't disagree with you. This is actually this... A, a supernatural period drama. It's not a horror movie, guys. Um, <laughs> that it, it does. Is, I mean, that's really cool. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of film that perhaps would have existed more no, quote unquote normally had the you know, adult skewing horror of the exorcist and the omen and Rosemary's baby not been superseded for a decade by, you know, Halloween and the slightly, you know, more kid centric slasher era. 
Exactly. And, That's exactly what I was and trying to say. And that's fun. You know, it's, it's, you know, tomato, tomato. It really wasn't until Silence of the Lambs that for a while we started seeing more big, splashy adult horror pictures. Well, yeah, it was 90, right? 90 to 95. That, that's yeah. what you were saying. Yeah, you, you have these kind of more adult-oriented films with, you know, grounded characters or whatnot that happen to be dealing with, you know, otherworldly aspects of things. Uh, and just, not to you know, be morbid, but because horror movies, because horror movies can be about death, it seems like it, it seems like a missed opportunity that we tend to make, you know, more trivial horror movies. They do, I mean, obviously, been summer and stuff, but they, they still get relegated to to B movie status so often that you, you sort of come to expect that the characters won't be that interesting or that it's just set up for a slaughter. And well, I mean, you're, you're generalizing like uh, some audiences, like a, uh, yes, a majority of audiences. There's a pigeonholing when it comes to just saying the word horror. Brandon, you know, this, we talk about this plenty. Yep. Like it's, it's, it's less about what the material is actually giving you and more of just automatic perception. There's you know plenty of judging the book by the cover kind of things going on as far as, well, this can't, yeah. I don't need to, yeah. you know, there's, I don't, I don't, there's no requirement for me to see this right away, or this is just going to be a throwaway thing of fun. And so that's why you get these surprises. It's like, Oh, F cinema score, because that movie was too artsy for me. Never mind. Right. But, and horror, horror is still one genre that people will show up at a theater for. It's never, that's, it's that's been a constant. Right, right? Yeah. People, people look down on it yet. They can't wait yeah, to see it. And most of them, they don't lose money because they don't throw tons of a, a doctor sleep aside but mm-hmm. um they don't i mean it's it barely profit it's a profitable genre and even if and it's the one genre that if it doesn't work in the theater home video could possibly save it in the end and everybody's everybody's fine it's true almost every horror movie that got a theatrical release eventually has a cult and gets a scream factory release like almost every horror movie <laughs> mm-hmm. about in the 80s and 90s has a cult <laughs> yeah, I like that we're watching Funny an episode of Two works. and a Half Vampires right now. Right. Actually, I really like that. I gotta say, I, I really like that scene though. I because you, I like how it's you know very movie. It's very voyeuristic, and then you are think. Of course, Lestat thinks of it as like, oh, new victim, and then it's it's about oh, she wants to know when she's gonna age. Which is is now a new development of like, well, now what are they going to do? Because she can't grow old, you know. Like, I, I like that. Like, I think yeah, that. No, it's one know. of the strengths of the movie for sure. Yeah. Bless you, Peter, for keeping us on track and talking about the film every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of the things that captured me most when I I rewatched this a couple of days ago. Is this this aspect of it? Um. I just yeah, but I mean, it helps also that. You get this tri this trifecta that just becomes two, and you take out one of the equation. It's just not as interesting. Whether it be even if you took out potentially like Brad Pitt for the length of time that he like if Brad Pitt were to disappear instead of Tom Cruise, I still think it would lack a hair because you don't have that third part in it of it for a child. Oh, is this what she freaks out? Oh, is that the dead body? Yeah, yeah he's got the body. <laughs> And Pitt's not too cool with this. <laughs> Neither of them are. But this is when she's is she about to cut her hair. Yeah. Yes, yeah, pretty great. Like, and she's such a tiny little like just her. She's so she's got such a strong gait, but she's so tiny, you know, because she's a little kid. She's terrific in this. She couldn't be better. Can't I change? Yeah. The next year she'd do Jumanji. 
<laughs> and she always seemed like she was a little too much too grown up for those when she would do like small soldiers. I always felt like, yeah. Well, yeah. when you start with this. Yeah, I yeah. know. She <laughs> always had that presence of being slightly more. Um, oh, she's I, I think one of the things with Kirsten Dunst too, a problem problematic with, um, she wasn't. She's one of those like kid stars that when she was a teen, she wasn't really like allowed to just like be a teen. Like a lot of her shit wound up in gossip sites and made her seem unlikable at the time with what they were projecting. Um, and maybe really she had, maybe, yeah, oh yeah. There was there's a lot of negative. Well, that also comes with being in the Spider-Man it. film specifically, where and, yeah, you know, they're, the the biggest, they're the biggest movies around, so there's right? there's a lot of attention slammed. that goes to those. Yeah. She's so great in those Spider-Man movies, and all I heard about at the, at the time was was how bad her teeth are. Like, she's just a beautiful woman, she's fantastic in these movies, and we're really going to focus on the fact that she did not get her teeth fixed. You know you're doing something right if that's what they're going to be complaining about. <laughs> she and finally earned her, her I, I think her, her love from the eyes. She's just recently been complaining as she that she never won an Oscar, which she's right. But like she does seem to be a little bit neurotic, but I think she's a tremendous actor. You know, I gotta say, I never noticed this, and if and if it's uh if you guys are all gonna be like, Oh, Pete, how'd you not notice that? That's the moment just now where she uh scratches she rips she, she rips his what did you say? When she scratches Cruz. Yeah, it's kind of like tears. I never noticed that because I mean oh, she is okay. freaking yeah. like, and I was like, oh, I never, I never got that before. Um, sorry, I just noticed that in the movie. I'm trying to think, of, does Jordan won an Oscar? No, right? He's just it he's would have been a crying game. Crying game within the Clinton. He didn't win for that. So. Yeah, that's '92. Yeah, that was a steep year anyway. It's Dunst most recently for me that I've seen her with. Uh... Fargo, she was great in that. Her, her and Jesse Pummins is a power couple. I mean, yes, Mel- Mel- Melancholy is one of my favorite movies of the decade. Yeah. So. It made a lot oh, of yeah. Yeah. He's great. I hate, I can't stand Von Trier, but that is a good movie. But oh, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Von Trier fan, but that, that's like the one that really works for me. <laughs> and she, I was excited when I heard that she's going to play the lead in the new Jane Campion. She replaced Elizabeth Moss, so I'm excited about that. She's really good in the uh, what is it? I'm I'm becoming a what is it? The Florida one. I mean, a god, in, a god in Central Florida. Yeah, Florida. I've seen like five episodes. It's great. It's really good. I think with Dunst, I think to a certain extent, she made she made and retained so much money from her Spider-Man films that she only works when she wants to, and as a result, I to a certain extent, she doesn't necessarily make the kind of films that are either explicitly commercial or conventional Oscar bait. Well, it's the. I mean, that's the same with that's the same with you know the obvious ones, Pattinson and Stewart, where they're yeah. doing just non. And of course, Taylor Lautner. They're all doing like yeah. fancy indie projects. Uh, <laughs> all three of them um, that you can't wait to see. <laughs> and Lutz, obviously, Kellen Lutz is killing it. Exactly. Hercules himself. Uh, Don't remind me. Hashtag my Hercules. <laughs> no, that's not correct. <laughs> No, the one with The Rock wasn't bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm not allowed to like it anymore because Ratner turned out to be a scumbag, but I was still defended artistically. Yeah, we were all on the fence about whether Ratner was a scumbag or not, and that, it's only now that we suddenly realize this. <laughs> there was a, other people like that worked on there. The <laughs> I can tell he was uh, a scumbag. I'm sorry? 
Oh, we're just making fun of Brett Ratner. Like, I didn't like. Oh yeah, yeah. Even before the the stories came out, I could tell that he was something. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there were Although this 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 movie, this movie probably would have been five percent better if the Rat Pack logo appeared right before it started. <laughs> Every movie loses a few points. He's not a bad director though. He's, he definitely had some. Oh, he, talent, he's a good he's but... a good actor's director. <laughs> yes, he gets good and he's, performances. He's very old fashioned in his technique. Brett Ratner. Ratner, Singer, McGee, they're all kind of in the same category for me. Although supposedly... Oh, yeah. well, well, the thing about McGee, though, is that he's not, you know, a bad person. <laughs> like, that's, that's the difference oh, well, between that's those three. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Like, if the worst thing is that people want to make fun of him because his childhood nickname is McGee and he didn't change it, it's like, oh, well, like, whatever. <laughs> that and the, the entire movie of this scene's war. Those are the two worst things about it. <laughs> no, somebody was just telling me that they thought that um, James Mangold is, like, the ultimate, like, three-star director. Although, according to Aaron, the the movie he just did is, an, is really good. But he's it never... very good. I like I like Mangled more than just a three star director. Three Ten to Yuma is really he's a good. Solid, yeah, Three Ten to Yuma. Three, you know, that's fantastic. a solid three star movie. Like it's no, good. That's well, oh, no, I think it's a I solid three and a half star movie. No, that's that's a fantastic. <laughs> I would say I would say like, Logan is a solid three star movie. Great, James Mangold. I don't think he's that. I think he's almost good. Like I feel like Copland, Logan are all sort of like two two and a half stars. Three Ten to Yuma remake is okay. Walk the Line, I thought was pretty good. That oh, was I nice forgot about Walk part. the Line. Yeah, that was pretty good. But I don't I even know if you like he's kind of good or bad for like the standard with, formula biopic. Yeah, <laughs> I, oh, hold on. Walk the Line's pretty I'm, good, and you were dogging. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into a fight here, but I, I, I'm team James Mangold is just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, Wait, is this when they're going to take Tom Cruise out? Is this the scene? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, the, you're about halfway through this. He's, he's playing that piano, which is interesting because I mean, you know, it, it almost feels like it almost feels like he dies earlier in this film than he does because his his exit is such a dramatic oomph. But he makes it to the first half of the movie. Yeah. Like it's one, of those, it's one of those things where it drives me nuts where people say, "Oh, you know, Steven Seagal dies in the first 15 minutes of Executive Decision." No, he doesn't. He dies at the end of the first act. Yeah, <laughs> he, really, like, I literally. We're an hour it's, it's 40, back again. It's 44 minutes before plan, he dies. Right? And it actually matters. Like, it actually yeah. means something. Like, it's, it's, it, it's, that movie works well because of how, how much you're indebted to the idea that this guy's going to be, you know, helping you really save the day here. And yeah. he dies. Like, yeah. it's a, it's a great plot turn in that film. Um, cause that movie rocks. Stuart yeah. Baird. Second Wait, unit director, Stuart Baird. Executive decision. I don't know if I've uh, seen it. Him, Kurt Russell, John Leguizamo, Joe Morton. Ali Perry. Uh, Oliver Platt. That's um, a great cast. Oh, yeah. David Suchet, Joe, yeah, Joe Morton. David, yeah. yeah. Uh, Perot. Um, yeah. yeah, Hercule Perot. He's, he's detecting things in the cockpit. What did Stuart Baird do after that? He did another big movie, didn't he? Uh, 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 what's it? Uh, oh, the, Star the, Trek. The, no, the Fugitive sequel. Star Trek. And the few U.S. Marshals. U.S. Marshals. Yeah. 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 Those, are the, those are the three Baird movies I know. <laughs> and then he killed Star Trek. Yeah. He did the one with uh, Tom, Tom Hardy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tom Hardy's Star Trek. That's what I call Nemesis. it. Nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'll yeah, argue Nemesis. more entertaining than Insurrection. Though that is true by default. Cares. I will give I you that. I like Insurrection more, and I'm not a Star Trek guy. 
I'm not a Star Trek guy, so I just call these movies boring. It's a pretty strong series, Star Trek movies, I think. Most of them are pretty entertaining. I'm not a Star Trek guy at all. Abrams, sir. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch these, so, you know, I have no memory. <laughs> oh, she's so so conniving, uh, little Claudia. Like, oh, sad. Poor, poor Lestat. <laughs> he comes back again before they go to Paris, right? Doesn't he come Well, no, this is... Like he's, he's, yeah, he's out for a while here. I mean, this is going to mess him up, like... No, there really is only three movies for a bit. I thought there was, like, one other one that I wasn't thinking of. It's, you know, Nemesis, Marshalls, and Executive Decision. <laughs> He's Anybody still editing. He's... U.S. Marshals movie. That movie is long. <laughs> I never it. saw it. I always was. I always thought I'd catch it on cable, and it just never happened. Really? Like that's the only way I've seen it. That's it's the like, ultimate had... cable movie. Yeah, you, yeah it's, a, it's a huge TBS. <laughs> How much do they reference the fugitive? Just not. Well, uh, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is in it. So I, mean, I know, that's... but does he say like? I'm Other than that, no. no. There's no like point where he's like, "Wow, this Wesley Snipes is a really tricky character to catch," just like that Richard Kimball from a couple years ago. <laughs> We need to nab yeah, us that fugitive. Oh, <laughs> want to get him? Oh, here it goes. Oh, oh. oh, oh, oh that Cruise slashed. What now? Like watch the like they go all out for him. <laughs> like, Tom Cruise is like, I want to mm-hmm. die, damn it! I want to get my blood all over the place. Because <laughs> <laughs> it becomes like a it becomes like an animatronic at one point, I believe too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, did she say pick me up right here? I mean, they didn't. He didn't actually let them slit their own throat. I mean, Which... now he would. Yeah, that's actually surprise. Like, like I said, I mean, this is a year before Mission Impossible. Like, Mission yeah. Impossible, now he would get on that bullet yeah. train. <laughs> that so there now it's animatronic, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. See, now that you say that, I, it's obvious, but I never. Yeah, it just worked for me. Well, it's a good camera move. That's the way it helps. Yeah. Yeah. And who is it? Uh, Stan Winston's doing the effects on this. Pumpkinhead oh, director Stan Winston. Winston. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Pumpkinhead Stan Winston. Like Brad Pitt's like, I'm disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> that was his delivery. <laughs> oh, the swamp. So the swamp this is the is the, uh... the swamp is the mistake they make, right? Because that's how he's going to feed off of creatures and everything. Yeah, I see. My, you know, they live during the time when the plague happened. They should be like, when in doubt, burn it. That should just be obvious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I thought the gator was going to do the business, right? <laughs> to be fair, they got rid of him for like, what, a hundred years? Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Never enough, as some would say. <laughs> this is the last time she sees him, because I think Claudia dies before he yes. comes. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, she's never yeah, going to see him again. Her, her memory is going to be of Tom Cruise getting eaten by an alligator. <laughs> yes. All right, he finds him after he comes out of the movies, right? Yeah, he, he walks like, in and there mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he comes in and he's like, what'd you think? Two thumbs up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sunrise, no less. Yeah, that was amazing. You like that movie that the same studio that made our movie did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you see Rain Man? <laughs> That's his question. <laughs> it's got a powerful straight man lead. Chapter 12, Hell and Damnation. <laughs> But see, like, this is, like, it's... Bears seen bears, and... (laughs) While I understand the... While I I understand the momentum problem of having someone like Cruz be gone from the movie, I kind of like this direction, because I like that it's that Claudia wants to see, well, 
obviously there has to be other vampires out there because that's going to lead us to Antonio Banderas and everybody else. You know, it's not a direction in concept. I like this a lot as far as, okay, that's a surprising turn for this, especially if you haven't read the book, obviously. And, you know, like we're now we're dealing with the aftermath of this. And yes, it's going to lead to new stuff. Like I like all that in design. Like that's a mm-hmm. great way to take this story. I just never really get myself attached very much after the first hour. Could you imagine the complaints today, like Tom Cruise not making it this far, even though the novel's there for people to know anyway? But um, he's on the poster, and then he dies early. And do we, well, I I hear what you're saying. Do we get that kind of complaint? I mean, yes, okay, the obvious no. one is Snoke, but I mean, but that's even that's late in the film for that thing. Oh, there he is. Oh, never mind. They didn't even give us his origin story. And... <laughs> I didn't see the things he talked about actually happen. Oh, this, he does, he does come back earlier. Never mind. The big fire. Yes. Yeah. You've been yeah. a very bad girl. Oh, that's great, too. The, uh, the, 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 the veil over the, yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah, because it was the piano thing. That's why I was like, this doesn't seem exactly right. There is some, He comes back at yeah. some point. Yeah, okay. That's yeah, like right. a zombie. I remember, yeah, this is right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So zombie. He gets his Griffin Dune moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly what he has. That's a commentary we should do. I just watched that. One of my favorite mm-hmm. movies ever. I just got the, the new the, arrow set. Is, yeah, the arrow, the arrow set, set. Yeah, just heaven. We're what talking movie? about the American Werewolf in London. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a, a really perfect movie, I think. Wait, what? This, American oh, Werewolf. American oh, Werewolf yeah. in London. Great. You too can see the Bad Moon Rising. All right. <laughs> it's a great movie for Jews. Um, because that nightmare sequence. Um. I, I'd like to think that this is one of the main reasons Tom Cruise wanted to take this movie, just like Michael Jackson wanted to do Thriller, because they're like, we want to get in the makeup. Get us gunked out with all this nasty <laughs> makeup. Like, I feel like that's one of the core reasons they signed up for this movie. Well, that's a big Tom Cruise thing in, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Is well, even no... Tropic Thunder, he's like, I want big, fat hands. Like, that's what he well, wanted yeah. to have. <laughs> and also, uh, the one Tom Cruise movie that, for some reason, uh, I don't love is uh, Vanilla Sky. He's got the big mask. Oh, you know? yeah. But, I like but you're guys. wrong. It's very good. It is very good. <laughs> I love vanilla. People Sky. love it. I know. Like, uh, no, you're, no, you're, you're in the majority, Peter, but people movie, don't love it. Yeah. And they're oh, all wrong. Movie, they it are, because it's very good and weird, and like Cameron Crowe should do stuff like that more. No, I know. I just Elizabeth Towns, Cameron Crowe, do more movies like that? Minority Report, that's another one where... Cruz has to use that thing to make his face look weird. Yeah, uh-huh. they, Cruz has a big face, like, weird, making himself well, look well, different. Well, he likes acting. The, the guy likes acting. That's what it is. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I want to know what it's like to be a common folk. I mean, doesn't oh, what? Like, Minority cool. Report, too, where he's like, I'm going to be blind for a while. Is that a stunt? What we just saw, the walking... Collateral, he goes gray. No, they got they got a real Spider-Man and just had him hang up on the <laughs> No, that was Tom Cruise. He set himself on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wondered that with Manny. There's some, some research, There's like a, a motorcycle jump or something in this? Or some stunt? And I was like, I wonder if that was really him. We should look back at some point to find out what the first like big Tom Cruise stunt move was. Just impossible. It was sliding across the floor. Like a, like a yeah, big like, yeah. I'm trying to because like Mission Impossible Two seems like a standout one where he's like, I'm gonna rock climb. Like, well, that's certainly where his persona, that persona, starts. yeah, the stunt, the stunt, the, the I'm the ja- you know American Jackie Chan type thing. Well, and they had the comedy bit uh, from the MTV Movie Awards too that yes. played that up. 
Um, yeah, but that, I mean, that was everywhere that summer. Like every trailer yeah. for months, you're like, he's climbing on the. I remember like gasping every time that trailer would play because like he's yeah. gonna slip. <laughs> Supposedly that scene in MI2 where the, the he's like, where the the guy tries to stab him with the knife and it close yeah. really close to his eye. Supposedly the like, that is really it's not CG. Yeah, it's, it's on the team. Yeah, they had it on a harness to like keep it in a very specific spot, so it obviously wouldn't go any deeper. But yeah, it's. A lot of times we would just film that in reverse. I guess so then, Scott, right? That's got to be like the first one yeah. where it's like he's out, out and out doing mm-hmm. all the stunts and you want people, he wants people to know that he's doing all the stunts compared yeah. to... Like, Even like, though he did do a few, quote, you know, less conventional pictures like Collateral or The Last Samurai, to a certain extent, the persona of Tom Cruise action man basically started in 2000 with Mission Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last and Samurai is pretty neat just because Samurai, he actually time traveled and went back to Feudal Japan. Like, yes. that was crazy. But... Mm-hmm. You remember that story about the Last Samurai where he almost got decapitated? Yes, what? yes I do. That was a big story at the time. He almost There's a scene in, in, in The Last Samurai where the, where the character's going to cut his head off and the guy almost cut off Tom Cruise's head. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> hey, well, Jason Statham actually died on a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> Wait, what? That's what Tom Cruise has to do in the next Mission Impossible. He has to die on screen and be revived. That's the only way to top himself. I, don't I mean, to be fair, time. he's actually died on screen in two Mission Impossible movies. At this no, point. I mean, he actually <laughs> dies. Tom Cruise physically dies and is revived. Hey, we don't know. T- I mean, there's a lot of documentaries on Mission Impossible 3, but I don't know. I, don't, I didn't see one about that scene. Maybe. <laughs> I still don't get why they're... I still don't get the scene in... Which I love the scene. The scene in Rogue Nation. Supposedly Tom Cruise learned to... Uh, hold his breath for like seven minutes, but you oh get yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the scene doesn't show that, so it's like I don't get it. Like it's not one take. Well, I'll say this. I mean, I think the scene is effective. Personally, I think it does work. But no, yeah, I think the, it's the, good. The ed- yeah, yeah, but the the editing does ruin the kind of the illusion of that a bit, along with just the fact that there's a lot of you know there's a big CG thing going on inside right. of the machine right. that they're in. But that said, because I was writing, uh, I wrote a couple articles about that that summer when it was coming out. Because like this is this is crazy. Like what's going on here? So it's like I going into that, I was less concerned with the filming of that scene just because I was already well aware of what he did to do that sequence. So it's like yeah, cool. Uh, I being an idiot decided to hold my breath when that scene started, and I died very quickly. (laughs) Very sad. But like Jason Statham, you're back with us. Exactly. Are there mirrors here? Are we gonna see her not in the mirrors and stuff? No, she's, she's literally standing in front of a mirror. In the mirror. But can you see her in the mirror? Yeah, yes. you can just see her right there. Remember, there because go. that was the big thing about Anne Rice's vampires, that, like, her her world of vampires, they don't change into bats. Like, her thing changes a lot of the lore of vampires. Yeah. Unfortunately, the coffins are a necessity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I oh, hate is, that delivery. Is this- anyway. It's, uh, you know what's no, weird? It's not... Like I am so willing to like go along with any movie's vampire rules. I don't care. It's like yeah, whatever. They're not real. Who cares what the rules are? Zombies yeah. are more of a stickler with. I'm like no. It, it, this like, is va- this is vampire hankies right here. If you know what I'm talking about. Hey, vampire what? Hankies. What does that mean? In the back back pocket. This is vampire cruising. How's that? Does that make? That makes more. Okay, there we go. Oh <laughs> yes, I got it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. And that is Stephen Ray, I believe. Ray. Yeah, Stephen Ray. The, the I was the star of his breakout movies, and now I get a small part in his big movie. Yeah, Neil Jordan's he's BFF, in, Stephen Ray. Yeah, I think he's been in every Neil Jordan movie. He Stephen has, Ray. yeah. He yeah. shows up in Greta in a role where I'm like, well, I know where this is going. 
Yeah. Terrific actor. <laughs> the ultimate hangdog. He's got a great like look. A very good like character actor look. He looks like yep. a tiny Tim that took showers. <laughs> that's pretty. Actually, that's pretty effective. Like right there, that looks pretty good. Yeah, he's doing his uh, Jamiroquai uh, moves right here. No. Because that's not Tom Cruise. That's actually special effects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that was Tom Cruise, he'd really be doing that. Look at Brad Pitt. He's like, oh, that's amazing. Brad Pitt likes to like grab people and hold them up by the. That's his move. Yeah. He's a, lot, he's a lot like King Kong that way. It's less about the punches and more about the, I'll just grab you and throw you somewhere. Right. <laughs> but yeah, what I was saying is I, I do like how vampire movies, they don't like, if you want to give me like crazy rules about it, it's like, yeah, sure, all right, vampires, whatever. But for whatever reason, like zombies, it's like, no, they, they do this and you shoot them in the head. That's hey, it. But like, don't, no... you like, don't you like 28 Days Later? Or do you not count that as a zombie movie? That's that's not a... I'm not that guy. It's totally like, a zombie movie. I'm not that guy that's like, it's not a zombie movie. They're in fact, that's bullshit. They're, it's a zombie movie. No, what? I like that. I like I Ooh. like that just because that's unique for its time where it's like, okay, I haven't seen that before. That's cool. That doesn't bug me. Like, it's, it's, a, neat, it's a neat development. Same with Dawn of the Dead where it's like, okay, they're fast here. But there's not like... There's not many, I mean, as much as people are like, fast or slow zombies, it's not like there's a ton of fast zombies movies. There's there's some notable ones, but not, there's not a lot of them. I don't know, I always thought, I mean, I like... Speaking of big budget horror, World War Z. I like <laughs> I liked 28 Days Later, but I always feel like zombies that run fast are essentially just the same as any old monster. I just feel like... Well, I mean, zombies are any old monster. The thing about zombie well, movies is the, mon- the, the, the monster aspect is the least interesting part of it. It's just a means to an end. I mean, I guess so, but I, there's something about the slow shuffle that I think is the, the shuffle with more and more of them that I that's what I think is kind yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, the swarming aspect, it goes either yeah. way. I mean, it's one version, just they get to you faster. They're, regardless, it's the story that counts for me with zombie movies where you if you have if you're making a zombie movie, what I'm what appeals to me is the fact that you're going to have characters and they're dealing with some deeper issues and themes oh, and whatnot course, that reflect on society. The zombies are just like, oh, yeah, there's also gore stuff that's going to happen. Like, cool, whatever. Like, it's the better ones, at least. Like, I, you know. I do like this, by the way, this whole, what she just said, the joke of, uh, what is it, vampires pretending to be humans, pretending to be vampires, how avant-garde. I, I like this whole theater scene. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a, I do say I, I am kind of a sucker for that. If it's done well, I like when filmmakers do either – Movies about movies or about theater or about something about about the notion of stories and acting. So I always I if it's done well, I always find it pretty fascinating. I mean, it well, keeps yeah, isn't happening. This, isn't this <laughs> I, I'm about maybe about to embarrass myself. But isn't this supposed to be like Grand Guignol? Is that how you pronounce it? The, that that theater in, in, in France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie, yeah, that's the, the gory. Idea. I think that's what they're supposed to be doing here. It's these sort of gory, shocking things. And yes. whenever there's a horror movie now, they say, well, it's wrong, you know, because it's got the gore in it. But I, I, I just think it's really clever, like Pete's saying, to, 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 to have this vampire troupe be hiding as a sort of a theatrical troupe who seem to be such showmen, you know? Right, and of course now they're actually going to kill her but by right. now, the audience is the audience is already fooled. So they're, yeah. they're just like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I really like it. I don't like this scene, not not as a quality thing. It's just more I just get uncomfortable about it. Like it's very mean. <laughs> like it's I just I don't feel good about like what happens. Oh, oh sure, <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, is like, naked? Just like the whole like they're gonna you know infest on this person and 
it's yeah, you know, it's, it's torture. Really, it's, it's, it's live torture. Horrific. That's what we're watching. That's what that's. I mean, the horrific. I'm not, no, I'm not saying like quality wise, it's badly made. I'm just saying like it, it it makes me uncomfortable because of like how sad it is essentially. Yeah, I could see. No, no, no I could see that. I mean, I think we Lewis all have shares our own... your pain. Yeah, I think you're supposed to. I mean, I don't know. I'm oh, not no. saying, I'm yeah, not saying this is some, like, some kind of revelation. I, I'd be surprised if you don't feel bad for this innocent person that's going to get killed on stage. <laughs> well, also, you're you know you're an hour and forty minutes or whatever into this movie, you're starting to really identify with the vampires more, and this is a recalibrates your memory of well, wait a second, there, this poor woman is going to be killed in front of, and then the audience, you know, is like us in the theater, right? Slight digression. The first time I saw Quantum of Solace. There's a scene in the film where they have, you know, basically political theater with with political dissidents being executed, and at that point the movie was so dark and so cynical. I thought, wait a minute, are they actually killing these people? Uh, anyway, that story had no conclusion. No, I we, like we probably talked. We probably talked about that more in our commentary for Quantum. Yeah, Dallas. it's also available out there. I'm trying to remember <laughs> that scene. One big ad for other commentaries tonight. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> it's a clip show. <laughs> As you talked about in your Street Fighter the movie commentary, Aaron, uh, yeah, which we did do. Um, <laughs> I like uh, Banderas's entrance mainly because he's wearing a you know he has all of this hair and he has this big velvety cape. On. <laughs> the crushed velvet, yeah, that's yeah. nice. It's like what if Nosferatu, but you know, like GQ's Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Do we know who she is? The actress? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. She's slightly familiar, but it could just be... It looks like a few different people, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure she's anyone in particular. Given that it's a near-wordless performance, I don't. I can't imagine someone that specific. See, like, the audience is getting uncomfortable. Like, they're just like... It's like... <laughs> ah. This is the kind of provocation you just don't get in a movie, a mainstream movie anymore. I, I certainly, you know. Well, that's like Cure for Wellness felt like such a weird throwback as far as that goes, as far as like putting out the, the kind of content it had going for it and just the very specific mood. Which one? A Cure for Wellness, Gore Verbinski's movie from a couple years ago. Interesting picture, yeah. I didn't love it, but it's an interesting movie, yeah. It, it goes for it. That's what I like about it. I certainly would rather there be more movies like that that don't succeed than no movies like that, you know? Uh-huh. Right. The classic faux Terry Gilliam movie. Well, now they're going to write their reviews. That was a press screening for the, <laughs> the real show, right? <laughs> Spoiler! <laughs> Please, press, politely request you not to spoil it for your audience. Please don't tell them about the part where we actually murder somebody. <laughs> don't ruin the endgame. Um, yeah, Who is the cinematographer for this? Uh, Philippe Rousseau. Philippe Rousseau, yeah, he's great. Yeah. yeah, so you mentioned Richard E. Grant earlier, as far as, like, what if that was... He could totally fit right in with this group. Like, if there was a oh, Richard yeah. E. Grant character in here right now, this movie would probably get another star Two on me. the nose, man. I wouldn't want to see Richard E. Grant. <laughs> Two on the nose, having Whitnail, like, guy. just jump in all of a sudden and be like, hey, guys, a crazy show, right? <laughs> just starts doing his wits. Well, that's the cheap... The cheap version of this would be Richard E. Grant, and what's the blonde guy from Warlock? Julian Sands would be in this movie. <laughs> Julian Sands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he so would. He so wow. would. <laughs> 
if you couldn't have that, if this was a thirty, you know, a twenty million dollar movie, he would have been Lestat. Is there is there room you for Billy that Doggo? Would've, that would have not Billy be fun. Doggo. I mean, that's probably better, that'd be that's better than Queen of the Damned. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so gross. It's so creepy. The yeah. Is this the whole like boy who they feed on all the time, but they don't kill him? Yeah, he's a familiar. Creepy. Bat. There you go. There you go. Big budget. Oh, I love that show. That show's great. Bat. The uh, yeah. the, uh, the Blade movies. Those are like big budget horror. Yeah. Kind of things. Um, but they're action movies in disguise. They don't, you know. Oh, this is a, you know, this is a a, a, a weird romance period drama in disguise. I mean, it's the same concept. <laughs> yeah, but Blade is a safer bet. Is it? I would say the second Blade is more horror infused than the first, just by default. Oh, for uh, sure, because it's, it's, it's more body horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stephen Norrington wasn't exactly known yeah. for his horror masterpieces. Uh, but I think you always, when you, uh, you can always count on Macho Poe in a movie. That's always a safer bet than something like this. And Wesley Snipes does great Macho posing in those movies, but I mean, it's still, it's like you're not running the risk of making <laughs> little boys uncomfortable. You're not. Yeah. Well, there's that one like weird jello creature thing you're not wrong i know what you're saying <laughs> one thing i was curious about is that like going back to the i think it's kind of the conversation that bandera is going to have uh here with Pitt is that like i can only think of two movies that kind of deal with this um and please if you guys can think of it tell me uh but like i would i wouldn't think to compare them but this movie interview with the vampire and spielberg kubrick's ai they're both about characters that through time, you know, the hundreds of years or whatever, they become this connection that these other beings need in order to move forward. Because that's the whole thing in this is right, is that he he is like the modern vampire. And that's and all these other vampires are the old world. Right. I think. Is that true? And yeah. Tony Banderas created Lestat, right? Yes. Right. But it's, it's, it's not yeah. just that. It's almost like the book. I think maybe the book that Anne Rice made, it's almost like a comment on, you know, the modern world, the 20th century. And that's what Louis is. And in AI and Spielberg's, you know, the AI, it's like there's this robot boy. And at the end of it, spoiler alert, and guess you guys haven't seen AI, like he's he's the closest thing. He's the closest thing that the super robots have to humanity. Um, and I see a comparison with these two, but I don't know. Is that a, is that a theme in a lot of stories that I'm just not recognizing, but I'm only recognizing these two stories. I mean, well, no, but they both, they both rely on the fantasy of being able to live for a lot longer than you normally would. True. Well, I mean, the other, the, I mean, for, to that extent, the other obvious example is the other Brad Pitt movie, a curious case for Benjamin Button. Uh, I think there's certainly, longer, he just lives backwards, right? I certainly yeah. think, no, sorry, go ahead. But I mean, but the, the I, yes, he does. He just ages backwards. But I think the nature of that, where it's you know, you have what Eric Roth doing the screenplay, much like Forrest Gump. He he is like you know a central figure that's going through time. You're using him as a kind of standing. Yes. Yeah, I get. I guess what you're saying. Okay, yeah. So instead of millennia, it's a, a, a normal person's lifespan. But it's just I guess the sprawling nature is what I'm thinking of as far as the ensemble cast and the episodic kind of events that take place in different areas and whatnot. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't speak to the same thing that you're speaking to, Peter, as far as someone that lives for literal centuries and is this kind of point of contact for a lot of people. Right. It's it not, does, yeah. doesn't change physically, but experiences build up and they change in, in, in that way. You see, I can think of ones that are like after the fact, like that, like near dark 
or I guess other vampire movies, Only Lovers Left Alive as well, where like they've clearly been around for a long time, but you've only you're only seeing a very specific part of their life. Well, yeah, the fate, obviously Dracula is you know you've yeah, been hanging like, around that castle forever. I mean that's part of that's a, that's again, a vampire that's a vampire it, thing in general, right? I'm trying so let me yeah I'm, try, I'm now I'm trying to think of other examples that Peter well, has as far as well. I think you guys are, I okay I think maybe the I'm Congress. <laughs> I mean, like, well, well, I think maybe maybe you guys aren't seeing the the connection. I mean, it's not necessarily just about the living. the central character living hundreds of years. It's more about that there's another group that that knows about that and uh-huh. they 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 need that character to connect with life or the world that's that's what i find interesting about the vampires here and the super robots at the end of ai that that's what but i'm they're saying trying to get revenge on him aren't they on them for killing tom cruise they have a plot in mind yes they do but no but i think bandera's Gen- I think he Bandera- sympathizes. No, he yeah, he's with him. Really wants it to work. I think Banderas really thinks I need Louis, and Louis needs to connect with us. If not, we're going to be destroyed. And I think the other well, vampire- he's been alive for longer than anybody, Banderas. But doesn't he see right. this as a way to like refresh and reset? Maybe, yeah, that could be absolutely. Um, but or yeah, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not a thing. It just for some reason it popped in my head that I was like, oh, it- no, you're not wrong. I'm just trying to think of other examples. Um, but it it's an interesting point because yes, it does connect to obviously the nature of how vampires function as far as be- but yeah, as far as one that's existing at a certain time and others like seeing this person and you know wanting to understand where they are and what they've seen, what they've gone through, how they reacted to the new world versus their kind of old ways. But I mean. Like, I mean, to put put the subtext forward, like, he's now on his own as himself and his first foray without Tom Cruise being what converted him to a vampire. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a strange, he doesn't know anything other than the Tom Cruise portion of vampirism. So, and he doesn't have him as his guide. Vampire in the old world, yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, and then I, that's, again, going back to what I don't know. I, supposedly, I want to say, isn't isn't this whole book written after Anne Rice? Did she lose a child to leukemia or something like that? Like, I mean, so, so you know, death is, is a huge part of, like, why it was written. But I think that the period setting, it's hard not to think of, like, the old world and the new world. Especially because, also, remember, the whole bookend, the whole... I think it's the bookend. The bookend of this story is in is in our period, right? It's in nineteen eighty. Well, yeah, with the vampire. It's Christian Bale. Oh, or, yeah. Sorry, Christian Slater. That's, yeah. that's the title. Interview with the vampire. Like, uh, yeah. Like so. Uh, how many how many books does this stretch? Is it still going? Oh, I don't know. There are. I think there are still books, if I'm not mistaken. I know she went like... through a religious phase for a while. I don't know if she's. Still yeah, in that or not? Yeah, that pr- Prince Lestat in the Realms of Atlantis, 2016. Oh, wow. Oh, really? See, I need you to make contact with this age. This is the thing I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah, that's the thing that I find interesting, you know? Like, um... As much as we've been jumping on, on Brad Pitt... I am thinking. I do think Louis is kind of a hard role to cast for. I mean, just cur- curious, going around the room, is there somebody else you guys think of this period of '94? Is there another actor 
you think would have been better? Let me think about it because immediately my thought was like Billy Crudup. Um, but let me think of let's see other actors of this time period that can nail. Let's see who's like getting nominated for stuff. Stephen Dorman. Is Stephen Brad Dorman. Renfro too young? He's too yeah. young. He's making Tom this and one? Huck at the time oh, of this movie. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, Johnny Depp. Would he yeah. have Oh, Johnny Depp would have killed this. Yeah. 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 Actual vampire Johnny Depp would have probably been pretty good. Here. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like looking at this, seeing like the intensity of Cruz versus like what Bandera- Banderas is, you know, he's playing a more traditionally sensual type of vampire. Like that's very clear. And that's right. that that can be effective in a certain kind of movie. But like right here, it's just like we're just kind of biding our time. Like that's kind of how it feels for me as far as the engagement factor I have at this point in the movie. It doesn't seem like a fun part at all when you've got meaty stuff surrounding you too. Well, yeah, because you have Stephen man. Ray like walking well, no, you on do walls and stuff, and now you're like you sitting s- in a chair with Banderas. It's like you all right. sit and mope. I mean, I mean, he's he's a reactionary character. It's he's he's basically the audience surrogate to a certain extent, and he's because of that he's somewhat of a blank slate, so that everybody can see themselves through him. Um, exactly. You know, it's it's it's. And I guess that's one reason why I'm not as critical of his work. Do I think he nails every moment? No, but I think he anchors the movie well enough, even when the showier elements aren't there. Yeah, I agree Ro- with that. Robert Downey yeah. Jr. could have pulled this off. Uh, in 94? In 94, not anything he's, after 2000, but... He's never played... Yeah. Has he ever played a sincere part where he's not... Yeah, Chaplin. He's had sincere sincere parts. I can't. I just can't imagine he would be doing the set, and so would the. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, he'd be trying to steal the movie from uh, Cruz. Yeah, yeah. Would it be a Tom Lee Jones, Jim Carrey situation? I Um, I mean, it's not a because I mean, miscasting aside, it's. I understand what you're saying, Scott. As far as like. He has to be a certain way for this to work, but it's. I think there's just something about like you. you Brad Pitt is a movie star at this point, right? Like he yeah. is, he is a guy that has a. He's screen breaking presence. out. He's so breaking it, out. Okay, right? but like he does, but he does clearly have a screen presence that you like in a, in a certain gravity. So it's like the fact that there's this guy that seems to be you know pulling all the attention towards him, and yet it doesn't seem to like match the energy that you really want to have for this role to be ideal. I think that's what it is. It's like because it's. You're you're not wrong. It's not like he's badly acting these scenes. It's just something about like the presence he brings to a role by ma- by neutering him so much and making him the guy that yeah just kind of sits and mopes and reacts. It's like okay, like I I'm, I'm ready for the next scene a lot if it doesn't involve like him with well, other interesting characters. I mean, it's interesting because Scott Scott's talking about how it is kind of a passive character, which makes me think of. Um... Patrick Fugit in Almost Famous, who I think is terrific in that movie. But that mm-hmm. character is kind of an observer character. I mean, he's he's a writer. Like that's kind of the role of that of that uh, in that movie. But you know what's weird is if well, you like take... Fugit, Fugit like started like he seems like a character actor. We're like Pitts in this weird like right now especially he's in that's this weird true. zone where it's like the guy is clearly like meant for superstardom and yet he's right. taking like quirky roles like California or like this where it's like okay like what is he trying to, which is why it's worked out so well in these later years where he's become a little bit older more seasoned and he can really expand in that well where he can play lead roles still, but still imbue them with you know, character actor qualities, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or what have you. 
Oh, he never, never would have been cast in this part a few years later, you know. Uh-huh. Seven years in Tibet. Like, there's some of those movies where they were trying to get him to sort of stretch as this promising young actor early on. Yeah. He pretty clearly defined himself pretty soon afterwards and, and, and stopped appearing in these ill-fitting roles, I think. Yeah, he's more he's more choosy. And, and like, even now when he does take these lead roles, they tend to be something like, something like, honestly, World War Z, he, it's pretty thankless what he has to do in that film, but it helps that he, A, has to interact with a lot of interesting characters, and B, the high concept around him is like, well, yeah, that's a good way to sell this movie. You have giant hordes of CG zombies, so put a face on it. Will Smith's already taken from I Am Legend, so okay, let's get Brad Pitt. Like, it makes sense. Well, he also, I mean, during this early time, like, it, it was easy for people to not work with him, because there's he had there's ego issues with him early on that uh-huh. he shouldn't have had that it was easy to reject him then but he started meeting more of the right people and just you're working with him and all, all i'm sure he became better have, but all the he, boys seem to have issues with this like tom cruise and like val kilmer like all of them seem to have like these kind of, where like tom cruise seemed to like yeah. make it work obviously because he was working with all these filmmakers but some of the other ones there's yeah, always they have a this, sense there's always a sense when these sort of really good-looking young actors come along that they're kind of trying to force them down our throat a little bit before we really want them. Well, yeah, I didn't care for Brad Pitt till seven. He was in a movie that I like wanted to see a lot. Well, I think that was the easiest, mod- the easiest modern example is Channing Tatum. Oh, he's great. He's oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. The... Channing Tatum is the easy modern example of this, where yes. it's like the guys like coming in GI Joe and like step yeah, yeah. up and like random things was like I guess this guy's a thing now and then he you know takes a step back does a Soderbergh does his 21 Jump Street and it's like this guy's funny and can act in things like, well you okay. can watch it you could see he was improving too like you uh-huh. could you could see he was actually actively trying to get better he kind of knew was aware of what he was or what you know his shortcomings were and you could just see the imp- he was working with wanting to work with better people and you could see his own performance was getting better as well <laughs> Here's where Stephen Ray turns into Steve Coogan. <laughs> you know, it's strange, except for the observer part that Scott mentioned. In many ways, the Louis character is kind of a Tom Cruise character. Like Tom Cruise, early eight, like eighties to early nineties, he's the person who comes in and that, like a, there's like a Paul Newman, there's a character above him that's like a mentor. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of what this character is, except he is very passive. So I guess it's, I mean, yeah. it's, you guys, you guys said Val Kilmer, he could have played Louis. He's yeah, also would be trying to steal it from uh, Cruz, though. Yeah. Kilmer has his own kind of showy way, and plus they hate each yeah. other. <laughs> so right. kind of, except what they're in Top Gun Maverick together, so we'll see. I guess. I mean, Cruz aside, just the role. I know, and it's been, you know, 30 years, so they can, <laughs> whatever, whatever's going on, they could probably. Oh, DiCaprio. DiCaprio would have been too young, right? Because he looks right. pretty young. Yes. No, yeah, DiCaprio, yeah. Um, this was, it would have been great. This, this yeah. is Gilbert Grape time. Yeah, this so, is, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a Basketball child. Basketball Diaries around here. Basketball, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Johnny Depp, he, I think we all agree. I mean, I think Johnny Depp would have worked, but I can't think of really... I, go, yeah, I was trying to find Oscar. How, how many so. people have we forgotten about since then that would have been a hot item? Around and the it time. would have had this, a similar neutering effect on Johnny Depp to have to play this part. Johnny Depp had a few parts like that where he's not, he's so restrained and it's not pleasant because you can sense that he has so much more going on, you know? You need a kind of a blank slate for this, and I'm trying to think of someone who would have been better than Pitt that would have been around in 94. Oh. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I think we're all Hawk deep in thought on this choice. Aiden Quinn. Aiden Quinn. His Rither runs through it co-star, right? Or is the other one, Legend of the Fall? Yeah, Legend of the Fall. Okay. Um, they're, the, they're the same movie, secretly. You just play them backwards. It's the same uh, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a very heartbreaking scene right here with Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst and the, and the yeah. other one in the in the in this this hole. Well, it's great too because it's it it um normally in a thing like this you would kind of think one or both of them are somehow going to escape. You know, it's kind of like oh you're not really going to kill them, but it's just like no they're that <laughs> like that's it that's the end. You know, Gabriel Burns too like. His face is too weathered to be to be Brad Pitt. Well, yeah, he was, he, he's a yeah, less yeah, fun yeah. Lestat. Yeah, Liam Neeson is maybe too old at that point, even though he's still relatively young. Neeson is too chunky to be a fey vampire. I think he, he's just skin. naturally a clunky he can guy. Skin, he can skin down. <laughs> Ray Fiennes. Look, look at Ray Fiennes. Is a... Have we been introduced to Leave Shriver yet? Yes, because uh, he's in the he's in Day Trippers. Day Trippers. Which is yeah. on Criterion right now. This would have been early enough that he wouldn't have been like living large. Yeah. At present. Well, there's, there's no presence there either, though. That's the thing. Yeah. I think he, he no just, presence, he, and he, he seems pretty modern too. Ugh. Thanks for getting me out of there. I thought the cask of Amontillado was rough. I mean, I guess. <laughs> you know, He's a big Poe fan. That's 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 Louis. <laughs> Who? Sorry. What'd you say? I was gonna say Jude Law, but even Jude Law has too much of a mischief. Uh, to, no, yeah, he's he's too he's to, he's got to too much a... Loki energy going on. <laughs> yeah, he's got too much. He's too much. Too, he again seems to have too much going on to play this part. I don't know. It's a tough casting. Mm-hmm. I got it, guys. Brad Pitt. There you okay. Go. Okay. <laughs> That's brilliant. God, I wish these people would listen to me. The guy from Cutting Class. Yeah. <laughs> None other. Okay. All that right. shirtless dude from Thelma and Louise. All right. All right. How many times did he take his shirt off in the movie? What about drama drama mode Vince Vaughn? He's probably too young, though. He's way too young. Because he's, he's early 20s at that point, because it's Swingers is 96. Yeah. Where's William Hurt doing? He's, he's, he's too old at that point? Or? Yeah, he's yeah, too he's, old. Yeah, he's already he's too old. He's way too old. Oh, that's old. great. Yeah. The way it, you could, you could kind of see the hint of the rib cage as it falls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's rough. And he's breathing them in right now. Like, uh, I think it would have been probably Ethan Hawke. Ninety-four would have been Ooh. like a British actor doing an American, like David. I think Brandon figured it out. Yeah, Ethan Hawke would. No, he'd be too cool for school in this role. Yeah. Ethan Hawke would be hard to take in this role. He didn't learn how to play second fiddle until Training Day. Tom Holsey. Tom Holsey. <laughs> get get get, get <laughs> Amadeus in here. Older than Tom Cruise. Wait, would are we assuming that Keanu would have been just like Brad Pitt? He would be worse. We saw Keanu's uh, audition we, yeah, in we, we've Dracula. Seen this. <laughs> yeah. we, we've seen him do this. Well, uh, I'm back. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. A vampire story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> These contacts were probably a nightmare. I like. I know Pitt like hated working on this. But we haven't talked about this. Yeah, we hated Pitt, it. Pitt yeah. did not like working on this movie. He's much we're ragging on him. He 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 probably feels the same. It's like, why am I here? 
Wait, so we didn't think of Arnold? You don't think he would have worked? No, I'm kidding. He might have. Arnold Damn, and Stallone is the stat and Louis. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Does that mean Bruce Willis is the uh, Banderas character? Bruce Willis is Banderas. Oh, Bruce Bandit. Willis is Slater because he he's tired of working with them and he'll just show up for. No, what... that's what you're saying. <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's Boy, back Bruce Willis as Lestat. That you should see. That would be amazing. <laughs> Seagal, Seagal is uh, Banderas. Seagal's and, Banderas. Uh, Van Dam and Ray is, is uh, Van Dam. Ray is Ray's Van Dam. Um, is Van? No, is... no, I think I think Van Dam has got to be Brad Pitt if uh, if. Uh... Yeah, no, because he's not a lead. He's not a lead here. And Milano or Daniel Harris would be the Christian yeah, Dunst character. There so. It'd be directed by Tony Scott. Yep. This is the this stupidest fan casting I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but you would, you would be there opening weekend. Oh, God, yes. That's beside the point. <sighs> what about, um, <laughs> what if what if Neil Jordan doubled down and put Jay Davidson in here? Oh. Hmm. Interesting. I think that would be yeah, catastrophe. I love what he does to Stephen Ray, and it's so gr- gruesome. Yeah, oh yeah, the size. You know, I was, I, I was. I, I don't like to be this guy just because, like, well, it's action, so I'm excited now. But like, the stuff is pretty cool in this scene, like the way he's dispatching he all these a, vampires. He does one thousand on uh, Stephen yeah. Ray. It's, it's pretty cool watching all this stuff happen. <laughs> I, I was, I was reading that like I, at one point, uh, late seventies, early eighties, like Travolta was attached to this movie. Really? But, yeah, but and that. you know what's funny? Like at one point in his career, Travolta totally could have pulled off Louis, and at one point he totally would have been more Lestat. <laughs> I can see him yes. doing the cackling Lestat like Broken Arrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, have anybody anybody see that Travolta movie where he plays a obsessed fan? Fanatic? No, fanatic. I want to though. No, it's it's our it's our next commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious if it looks and it's directed. Gonna... Oh, I love that chop and half. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's good. That's, that's good stuff so right good. there. Yeah. Is it directed by the Limp Bizkit or Fred Durst? Yeah, Fred, Fred, Fred Durst. Durst yeah. Is the director. Yeah. Wow. Fred Durst who directed the uh, Ice Cube <laughs> football movie. Yeah. Uh, the the comebacks or something. The comebacks. No, yeah. It, no, no, that's a different one. No, that's that's a. Is it the comeback? It's something like it's something like that. I'm pretty. Yeah, it might be that. Let me see. Let me look up Fred Durst on IMDb real quick. <laughs> Which who would uh, work on Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible Two? We come back around to that. Of course, yeah. yeah. The long shots. There we go. Oh, okay. I knew it was like some, some like, sports yeah, yeah, generic yeah. term thing. He made a Jesse Eisenberg movie, The Education of Charlie Banks. I've seen that. Hmm. It's fine. It's, it's got a 50 on Metacritic. Um. <laughs> well, we're out of there. <laughs> There's a real lack of regard for like the things that just happened, because Banderas, they were just strutting around in their fancy coats, being like, well, that was a weird day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> So you're letting me dress you now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> John Turturro? <laughs> Too much live wire energy. John Turturro and John Goodman as Ooh, uh, Andy Lovely. Garcia. Andy Garcia could do it, yeah. Yeah. He could play down. I mean, if you, if you go to the future, you could easily get Ryan Gosling <laughs> during his yeah. drive and... I'm surprised. Has he done a horror movie? Ryan Gosling? 
Am I think? Am I not thinking of something? He don't did, think so. he did that. No, he did. It's called Stay, right? He did that one. Yeah, there's that thing, but like, was that a what's his name? Stay. Was that the same guy? The uh, Quantum of Solace. What's his name? Um, yeah, Mark Forrester. Mark Forrester. Is that a Mark Forrester movie? Stay. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Now I, I'm wondering. I, I saw that in the theater. Such a weird career that guy has. <laughs> it's weird. Now I'm thinking if I was recasting this movie. And I was like flipping the gender and it was today. I can kind of see someone like, I mean, almost because she's kind of playing the character already in Westworld. Uh, uh, Evan Rachel Wood. I think she would be a good Lestat. Again, he, he made Byzantium. He made his vampire movie yeah. with the reverse genders. <laughs> like... Wait, wait, what? Wait, is that what Byzantium is? I mean, I mean, it's not this again, but it is a vampire movie with, with all... With, Saoirse you know, all and cats. Gemma. Saoirse Ronan and, and uh, Gemma Arterton. Oh. <laughs> Did he say the quiet part out loud? <laughs> yeah, Ryan Gosling, aside from... Oh, he was in one episode of the Goosebumps TV show and one episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's I mean, those a are classic. That's episodes, the Gosling, oh, wow. uh, Gosling horror cred. Those are his first two roles. Lars and the Real Girl is kind of horrific in some ways. I think he's actually very good. At Wait, now, just curious. What? <laughs> only because I just thought of it. Doesn't and he was in Frankenstein and Me? So there you go, Ryan Gosling, so, horror god. It doesn't what, have to be. It doesn't have to be a gender uh, flip or anything. But do you guys think? Um, this is the kind of property that will be remade eventually with a new cast. I'm surprised that, well, I know yeah. well, has been working on this. It'll forever, be a, a series. Yes. It'll yeah, be a, a series. Go to HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, a series is the most and likely I, thing. And I will happen. weep. <laughs> I can see that. You can see me weeping? Thank you. Yes. See you. <laughs> now, one thing I, I do have slight oh, issue is that the movie. The it, 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 it barely ends. Well, yeah, because it just becomes like yeah. an abrupt, like, fuck you, I'm out of here, and then Tom Cruise comes back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we had was basically the action climax a few minutes ago, but, you know, it felt, it was okay. It was, it was basically solving a specific conflict. Um, well, yeah, because it, it just, it, it deemed itself, well, we need an antagonist now. Like, that's yeah. kind of what it comes down to, and then you're like, all right, now we've I mean, this is like an extended epilogue, essentially, but there's no, yeah. there's not much rhythm to the, because I, Tequila Sunrise, uh, the, <laughs> you know, like, Yancey, I get where you're at as far as, like, there's a lot of, you know, mood here, and it's, you know, it's it's giving you a portrait of a life, and there's a lot of poetry with that. I understand that. At the same time, it's like, the movie has a weird, like, narrative issue of, like, well, how do we, how do we kind of build this into a thing that's palatable for our mainstream audience? And it's like, all right, I guess we'll just... We'll throw in some wacky vampires as villains and then just give them a send-off. Well, like, to, uh, I mean, they're getting punished for that, but that's pretty emotional. Sure. Ending for that story. I do like this. I, I mean, because we have the sound off, but I, I remember, I very distinctly remember the score at this point. It's very, like, kind of low bassy hums and it doesn't he say something about old death that he smells and it's because he's going to find with that. Um, yeah, the Elliot Goldenthal score yeah, is score quite is good. Awesome. It's, it's Oscar nominated. Yeah. It, lo it lost yeah. to Hans Zimmer's one win for an Oscar, the Lion King. 
be fair, that's a fantastic score. It's a great score. It is, it's interesting uh, to me that Hans Zimmer has one Oscar, and it's The Lion King. That's yeah. great. <laughs> like, he's done so much. <laughs> oh, that's pretty nice. The rats, you know, just so much the things that Lestat would have hated to have to feed on. It's pretty cool. Here's the other thing. Why is why is Lestat so, like, just, like, this is, like, the only way he can function? Like, why can't he do anything else? Takes a while to heal back. Well, I also, I think he's gone. I mean, it's, it seems like it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, and I think he's gone crazy. I mean, I think it's not its not just his physical body. I think his mind is gone. I think but there's like, that, too. Or at least it's, I mean, because technically there's another book after this, so I guess. From what, like, from just yeah, being, on, like, being, being on fire and all that stuff? End. Yeah. No, yeah, he comes back so, at the end. That's why I'm just what, like, what has he been doing? <laughs> that's that's my that's my question. Is he is Brad are Brad Pitt and and, and Lestat back to hanging out together before even the Christian Slater interview gets set up? Is he serving him up to Lestat? Is that what's going on? In which case, you know, you certainly feel good about two of them fighting each other again to an extent. Cause well, because there's, so I mean, there's, there's narrative satisfaction from having these two back together. I mean, but isn't that the idea? Isn't is aren't they setting up Christian Slater? Uh, no, I don't think he's setting him up because because like Lestat, like even when he gets in the car of Slater, he's like, oh, a bunch of boring interviews with that guy. Right. Kind of kind of roll with me for a while. Flashback, right? No, like just the, when he gets to Slater, he like. He's like openly mocking Louis. He's like, huh, yeah. this guy, whatever. Let's drive off together. I'm going to show you a time of your life. And he starts like draining his blood and all that. Setting up a sequel that we're never going to get. No, like what I was saying, yeah, I don't, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, in, in cahoots as far as an elaborate interview for the sake of one person draining the other. It just seems like, it seems like after this sequence, maybe Lestat's, I don't know, like stalking after Louis or something. And he just kind of like, all right, I'll take my opportunity here and get involved. I like this. I, I, like, I, I, like, I like this like skittish version that Cruz is playing of Lestat, so afraid and stuff. Like all this is pretty effective. Again, I'm just <laughs> asking, like, why? why? Yeah, I, there's I, just no good reason. Wait, what do you mean? Well, why is he this way? Oh, I guess just the fire. Like, I like I said a minute. The fire ago. was like what, 200 years ago at this point. I mean, get <laughs> like, over it. I don't know, like, man. I guess it just really, like I said, it just really affected him. Like, it just, I mean, we don't know the rules of how long it takes or whatever. I mean, to be burned alive and stuff. Like, I don't know. I mean, because what? So this is about what? Uh, about seven years before the present day, right? Well, when did Tequila Sunrise come out? 1989. Nine. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it's five. So about half a decade. So yeah. if it's supposed to be, yeah. So in in five years, he's going to be much better. But I don't know. I like I said, I think it's more of a mental thing too. I think it's more of like a mental break that he had. You know. I guess it's just like the Lestat character. He's like, did he really suffer that much from like mental? Like it seemed like he, it, like if this happened to Louis, I could buy that. I could buy Louis being more of a more of a recluse than he already is. Like I get that for now. Seems like Lestat could bounce back pretty quickly from like you know his boyfriend ditching him for a while. Oh <laughs> well, no, I think I I I get what this would be the I understand what you're saying on paper. Uh-huh. I get what you're saying that you're like the script is not the the story is not providing me with the reason. But I guess I I guess even with the mute you know with the sound off I feel like Cruz pulls it off though. I think I I 
I feel an empathy towards the character. Well, yeah, from an acting standpoint, I'm not no, denying that. You're all missing the obvious that he, when he almost gets, when he comes back the first time, he explains how laborious the process was of getting back to being a, 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 a walking, talking vampire again. They kill him even worse after that. And then he's, you're so mangled and screwed up, you can't walk around in polite society. You got to hang in the shadows to stay alive. I mean, I buy it. Hmm. I, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's the dramatic oh. thing of being for year for hundreds of years waiting. It's just, it's kind of a, probably reads better on the book than it comes across for you in the movie. This is maybe the fourth or fifth time I've watched this in full, by the way. So, like, my, you know, my detail level on knowing everything about this is, you know, it's okay. <laughs> so. is, he's gonna, is this where he says the big famous line? Or famous to me about... I'm the vampire and you're interviewing me now! <laughs> what does he say? But, but it's something like, all that went away with, her, with the golden hair or something like that. He's talking about Claudia, right? <laughs> where did he already say the line and I didn't notice? If this movie came out today and was a big hit, you'd have like 50 dudes per bar going as Christian Slater from it for Halloween. (laughs) Well, they do that now. Thanks to Mr. Robot. They just put on a jacket and glasses. Just like that Robert Redford movie. (laughs) Businessman in glasses. Chonky Thors, Jokers, and Christian Slaters. Yeah, the bars must be a mess right now (laughs) if you're impersonators. What's Slater doing at this point? Like, he's off of, what, Robin Hood's a couple years ago. What's he got, like, Better Roses? What else? Puffs. Oh, Mr. Robot? No, not now. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Um, This is right before Broken Air. Bed of Roses. Was that the one with the Tomei? Yeah. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. Darn it. Well, true. True Romance, of course. Yeah, there you go. Right? Yeah. He was turning a corner. Do we all like, uh, does everyone like True Romance? I'm a yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yancey does not, right? Yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, like it. I, I could have guessed that. Forever. I remember I had the Laserdisc back in the day, um, but I, yeah, I don't remember. So I can't, I really can't say. I do remember thinking Brad Pitt was pretty good in it, though. It's an ensemble cast full of people giving, like, great five-scene, perform- two-scene performances. Here we go. Later. Here we go, yeah. Slater's is out of there. Huh. Quite the pickle, but at least I got my article going. <laughs> Time to drive back to my place and nothing's going to happen to me, Boulevard. <laughs> this is exactly how a beautiful day in the neighborhood ends. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know Tom Cruise like, Wow, I really learned that. a lesson. Then Tom what? Hanks comes into Mr. Rogers and, and, and bites his neck. <laughs> how do you think I got so nice, neighbor? I appreciate your blood. <laughs> what does did he just fly in? What where does he come from? I'm trying to remember this ending. Does he just pop in the back seat? Yeah, I guess. I guess we're gonna find out in a second here. Cause it's pretty quick, as I recall. Yeah. There we go. There he is. He's just in the car. <laughs> what is what he do? Well, it's, a, it's a convertible. He could have been hiding in the back of the convertible. I guess. 
It's such a stretch, Mr. Modern Movie Guy. I'm not nitpick. I'm just asking. I'm just saying I forgot where he comes from, so that's why I'm asking a question. Uh, no, I think he was just in the back seat. He was in the back seat. And that he was so quick to try to get out of there for whatever reason that he didn't, you know, as most of us do, didn't check the back seat. This is pretty he good. Is. I, I, He's, like, still whining, Louis. Is he listening to the tapes? Yeah, like, that's pretty like, funny. Not... Like, <laughs> I like him fixing his uh, his clothes. His cuffs. Yeah, his cuffs. His, his, Chris, his Christian Slater cuffs. Yeah. <laughs> mm. and wait, who's, whose version of uh, Sympathy for the Devil is this? Yes. Uh, Guns, and, Guns and Roses? Guns and Roses. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> and everybody yeah, it's, giggled it's, when this came on in theaters. It's the early '90s, so it has yeah. to be Guns N' Roses. <laughs> <laughs> Live and let die was awesome. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, T two set him off the chain. So, man, who they, who who's going to come in and score Avatar? Who's going to put that song out there <laughs> for Avatar two? God, I don't know. Who is the who is the I don't need to talk about Avatar right now. We have a we'll do that commentary another time. <laughs> we'll do that one in two parts. Now playing right. on Disney Plus. Oh now it's brought to you by Disney Plus. Sign up now, <laughs> get one month free. Uh The Mandalorian, it's our show, and it uh, has two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> don't go on the internet or you'll see Baby Yoda. That's our surprise. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jake Sully, and you're watching <laughs> Disney Plus. Hey, Indra Ove played New New Orleans whore. <laughs> Wait, what? There's a credits. Credits. New Orleans whore. Mortal woman on stage, Laurie Marzok. I didn't no, look no. her up. She's done nothing. No, no, no. I was New Orleans whore. Get that right. Oh, <sighs> they really got their money out of the helicopter shots of the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> We're just circling around this thing. The sun's coming up the stat. <laughs> Better get Slater's car home. It's true. I wonder I, what he chose. I think the movie holds up for me. I mean, obviously, it's different doing a commentary, but um, and of course, I do wish this was 4K. Like, it, this really needs a good transfer. Is there a 4K version of this? This isn't a bad transfer. No, it's, it's okay. It's kind of soft. Like. Brandon, what do you think? Uh, th- no, there's no 4K transfer. It looks, I mean, it could use an upgrade. I mean, even a 2K transfer. This thing was, I've obviously made off of an HD master. Probably came from a old DVD, whatever source they're using for the DVD. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, this is like the 20th anniversary Blu-ray for this thing. So. Wait, an HD master doesn't mean 2K? Isn't HD nope. 2K? It, I mean, that for the transferring stuff, there's a lot of HD stuff that gets bumped up from DVDs to oh, like we really, really save the good stuff for the listeners at the end here yeah. <laughs> no it's not all 2k it's not all 2k um, back in my part. day you just had DVD and it looked good it was Warner Brothers so they missed their boat they they would have hit this up with an anniversary so we're not getting one uh, they, I'm saying I'm what this is the 20th anniversary blu-ray that I'm watching right now so. mm-hmm. yeah you gotta wait, you guy. We gotta wait till twenty. Got what, that 23? special uh, hook the kids and trick them into getting an old movie cover on it. Well, they put some. They put like a new interview on there or something. Oh wait, wait, wait. Maybe the, the cover art is what I was talking about. Oh yeah, the cover art. Yeah, yeah it's like, oh, what is this movie? It couldn't be old. Oh, oh, son of the from mask. The, 90s. the digital copy. 
Jamie. <laughs> Y'all see him in Scream? Yes. What, the, the Dumb and Dumber collection? All three films? <laughs> uh. um, this movie was nominated for two Academy Awards. I mentioned the score, also the um, set design and art direction. No costumes. No costumes. Well, yeah, no costumes. Yeah. Usually no those all go hand in hand. Like no make there must have been like four other, you know, English period dramas that came out. That costume years. people must have been pissed at the set people. <laughs> Guys don't go get in without us. It's a group thing. <laughs> I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to find the other What had better it? costumes than interview with a vampire? <laughs> The Christian Slater vest was genius. That vest thing that like nobody was wearing, but people on TV shows always wore. Like I'm sure some of the friends wore them, like they were regular. But I don't know. Yeah, Chandler wore that outfit a lot. Yeah. As far as yeah makeup goes, you had Ed Wood, Forrest Gump, and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Okay. Uh, costume design, uh, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Bullets Over Which One. Bullets over Broadway, Little Women, fitting, uh, Maverick, and Queen Margaret. Okay. Visual effects, you had The Mask, <laughs> and True Lies, and Forrest Gump, which one? Uh, oh, okay. Art direction, it lost to The Madness of King George. But you had another Brad Pitt, you had Legends of the Fall, and Forrest Gump and Bullets over Broadway. No. Looks like uh, Hulu wants me to follow up uh, Interview the Vampire with Rick and Morty. What a oh, what a nice segue. There you go. Uh, mine makes more sense. It wants me to watch episode two of Castle Rock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, memory in memory of River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a dedication. He was here. cast. It wants me to watch episode one, season one, episode ten of What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, okay. Well, you should watch that. Oh, I, I've. I, we plowed through that in like half a week. Yeah. Because it's speaking, awesome. Speaking of good vampire media. Geez. Yeah. God, the end of the second episode, I was dying. The it's one, the, that... the city council meeting. Oh, it's oh. great. Yeah, that is really no, good. The, the grand meeting between all of the vampires yes. from other vampire yes, that, movies. Yes. That's the best crossover event I've seen yes. in two years. Oh, let me oh tell you. my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, we've reached the end of our commentary track for interview with the. Sorry, we've reached the end for our commentary track for Lee Daniels and Rice's interview with the Vampire Cole and the Vampire Chronicles SG One. Um, <laughs> thank you all for joining me to discuss this long movie. Uh, I'm glad we had this conversation because we had a lot of uh, diverging opinions, which is always fun for, especially for our commentary track, where we're generally all pretty amped up on whatever movie we're talking. About. Um, is that me? Or all, you? No, that's not me. With all of that in mind, where can people find everybody's work? Scott, where can people find more of you online? Uh, Forbes.com. Uh, Google some variation on Scott Mendelson, the ticket booth, Forbes. Um, I have a Twitter, at Scott Mendelson. I do have a Facebook page. It's mostly for articles and family photos. And yeah. Brandon Peters, where can people find more of you? I make Colton McAvalcade, which is ColtonMcAvalcade.com. Our website got an update. It's really cool. You should check it out. Um and we're doing right now we're doing uh, a couple Andy Sedaris movies for the show. We have a live show coming up, uh, but you have to be in the Indianapolis area to be there. See it uh, at a convention called Starbase. 
And at Colson McC- or at whysoblue.com, I'm uh, in the middle. I've just begun an Abbott Costello challenge as I have to review a 28 film, 15 disc box set for Shout Factory. Join the fun. Donate to the cause. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Yancey Burns, we're going to move on more of you. Oh, Milky Way Blues, the Yancey Jack on Twitter, and I am working on my first review for uh, Why So Blue. We'll see, uh, we'll see if I can get it done in time. Peter Paris. Uh, Why So Blue, my uh, Frozen 2 uh, review just went up. Um, and uh, I, I do mostly theatrical. Oh, and also on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Pajamo. Follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. I'm writing at We Live Entertainment and Why So Blue, and I'm on I said that. Yeah. Okay. No, all my stuff ends up at thecodezeek.com. Uh, you can find our episodes everywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, thank you, Scott, Yancey, and Brandon for joining me this evening to discuss this movie. You're thank very you. welcome. So just to clarify, Brandon, you. you're raising money for charity to do a review of a bunch of uh, uh, Abbott and Costello films? Charity of myself, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I that, yeah. that that would be an exciting challenge. But regardless, anyway, uh, next month we are going to be doing a Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. That will be our awesome. commentary then to wrap up our original, our our prequel Six. and original trilogy commentary tracks that we have done for all these Star Wars movies. That should be a lot of fun because that's Woo-hoo. a movie that has plenty of things going on. But until then, until next time, so long and goodbye. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of will. And taste I've been around for a long, long year Stole many a man's soul of faith I was around when Jesus Christ Had his moments of doubt and pain Made damn sure the pilot Washed his hands and sealed his face